because I feel that people are much more willing to go to a movie they think is going to be mediocre than they are willing to go to a movie that they think is going to be good. It's wrong to believe that people want to go to good movies. They're very suspicious of good movies. They're very willing to go to midstream movies. In other words, they want a little less. Allow me to introduce myself. Who knows what dastardly crime might perpetrate next? He's a very clever arch criminal who must be put away. Another innocent victim. from the highways and byways of Tallahassee, Florida to Motor City, Detroit to find my true love. If you gave me a million years to ponder, I would never have guessed that true romance in Detroit would ever go together. And to this day, the events that followed all seem like a distant dream. But the dream was real and was to change our lives forever. Welcome, everybody. It's episode four of Movie. Uh, I'm here, joined as always with my buddy Reed. Say hello, Reed. Hello, people. How's it going? And uh, I am BJ Smith, and we are here for another episode to talk about a lot of movies. And uh, this episode, no promises. I mean, I mean, we're gonna go long. I think it's it's that's how, that's you just have to accept us for going long. We've tried to tinker with the formula to go a lot shorter, and it just doesn't work. So it doesn't work. I I honestly, if we ever go under. Like two, if we go two hours, I'll be surprised. Like ever, <laughs> I don't think we'll ever not go two thirty. No, I think we need to cut out significant portions of the show to get that mark. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, but it is what it is. You just have to accept us as we are. Except so, us, uh, Mom. yeah. So, um, Reed has made the the jump to the wide wonderful world of 4k mm-hmm. you know i've spoken about 4k a lot pretty much every episode because it's my format of choice now i absolutely love it i've been trying to talk read into getting into it in the last few months and he's finally made the jump and uh why don't you tell me a little bit about that well uh it's been pretty pretty cool i got my 4k tv when was this i got it technically friday but i didn't have it set up till saturday very late at night and then obviously I don't have any 4K things to play it on besides streaming. Um, so yesterday I went to get a Xbox One X because uh, my ex- original Xbox One is the day one, not the day one one, but uh, pretty much the first version that came out, which was five years ago. And it's old. It's a piece of crap. <laughs> and uh, I just needed an upgrade. And I don't even like play – like my Xbox One I used to have – I have both. I have an Xbox One and a PS4, and I used to play all my games on Xbox One. But since then, uh, since I got a PS4 about a year and a half ago, I primarily just game on my PlayStation 4. My Xbox is for basically my Blu-ray player and basically my streaming device. And now that I have 4K, I figure, you know, why not just upgrade with the Xbox One X? If there's any games that I you know, particularly like to only play on Xbox One X, uh, I can do that, and then, um, you know, obviously I got 4K Blu-rays. My, I kind of have a slow collection to start. I only, I only got uh, some some stuff. Let me see here what I got. I got so I got Blade Runner 24. I got the two that you highly recommended to me, and I watched them both. Uh, oh, you well, watched Revenant too? I did. I watched. Did Revenant. you love it? Oh my god, beach. <laughs> the picture is like stunning. Stunning. It's, I mean. 
uh, I'm not. I, I love the movie. I'm not speaking in terms oh, of, course, of the quality yeah. of the movie. I love it, but in terms, I mean, I have. A, I ha, I just started this year with 4K. My collection, I become obsessed very easily. My upset. My my collection's well over a hundred right now, of and the Revenant of just 4K, yeah. And the Revenant is the, still the absolute, the best 4K disc I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Revenant was incredible. I I just. I start off with Blade Runner 2049, of course, because, you know, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I remember just, I grew an even bigger appreciation. I saw the movie in IMAX, too. And I thought, and it obviously before watching it on 4K, I thought it was stunning. Even, I own the Blu-ray to it already, so I obviously thought the movie was just stunning before. But this 4, it just opens your mind. Like, you're just like, how did, like, it's like one of those things, like, you know, you go to, like, a, a Best Buy and you see all these TVs and you're like, man, I wish I could have that kind of picture in my house. And now I do. Yep. Which is just like, wow. Like, it just blew my mind. And then I watched The Revenant this morning. Oh, my God. What? I just, I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe that this picture just looks so great. I just... And it's just like this extra level of immersiveness that exactly. sucks you into the movie. Like, the movie is already beautiful in and of itself, both of them, but the 4K just adds so much to it. Um, the other two movies that I got, or sorry, not two movies, but the other uh, one's a, a set. I had got the Dark Knight trilogy set, um, which, like, you know, the Dark Knight is one of my favorite movies of all time, so, like, I just kind of had to get it. Uh, and then I got Interstellar, um, which i not, like, a crazy over the movie i remember i saw the movie like twice in theaters and i loved it then uh and then like just kind of the more i watched it the least i liked it it was it was one of those weird movies um but now uh on 4k i can't wait to watch it on 4k because i just feel like it's just gonna be beautiful um and it's a movie that i kind of want to revisit too because uh i remember just really being emotionally moved by it even though i have a lot of issues with it um but yeah so uh Looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to expand. There was a lot of other ones that I wanted to get, um, but I just went with those just to start off with. Um, and I can't wait to get into it. I, I like Beige. Once I get into something, I kind of start. My thing is I start with something and then I kind of stop. Like earlier this year, I started with the vinyl collection, and then I kind of just stop. I get them. I don't. Even, I haven't even got one in like a couple months. And same thing with my original Blu-ray collection. I, like when I first got my job, first job I ever had about four or five years ago, I was for a movie theater, uh, which, of course, would be my first job. Um, I spent my first paychecks on Blu-rays, <laughs> and I wanted to start a Blu-ray collection, and then I kind of stopped. I don't like my Blu-ray collection now because a lot of the movies are just crap. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really have the best taste back then, <laughs> as I think I do now, but yeah. So, excited, so, though. It's incredible. So, I got my first job pretty much to support my DVD habit. <laughs> I would get paid on Tuesdays. And I would leave. The, I would go to the store to pick up my paycheck and go straight to Walmart and buy every week the new releases, all of them, whether I wanted to see it or not. Oh my god! <laughs> so when I get obsessed with something, unlike you, I don't have pauses. I just become like super obsessed until I'm penniless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I well, like I never had my own money before. Then of course it was always like, hey mom, can you buy this? Hey dad, can you buy this? And when I got my own money, I was like, well, of course I'm going to buy movies and video games by myself. So. Yeah, I never grew out of that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, so yeah, when I um, I'll, we'll be real brief. Um, when I got my uh, when I started my 4K collection, I got a steel book of uh John John Wick one and two together, oh, nice. 
and both of those movies look amazing, so those should be on your list as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Logan. Logan looks amazing. Does that come with black and white? The version or the version I don't that I have does not I don't believe there probably isn't a 4K one of that is there I want I want to say there is maybe it does maybe it is on my disc I don't know I can't remember I know there's there's one for Mad Max or I don't know for 4K but there's also a black and white one for Mad Max Fury Road you know what I'm mixing the two up Logan does have does come with the black and white Nora version Mad Max does not okay. Um, and again, Mad Max looks amazing. Mm. Um, but you'll, you'll come across this thing where there's like two kinds of 4K. Well, first off, you, you mentioned the streaming 4K like through Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looks great. Some people argue that it's not true 4K because you're getting some form of compression because it's coming over the internet. Well, yeah, sure. Um, but still, I mean, it's it's going to look like watching Stranger Things and everything. It looks wonderful. Daredevil. Stuff that's mm. filmed in 4K. Um the actual physical discs are how you get like the 4K 4K, and um, so you have movies that like more current movies like Revenant, Blade Runner 4029 or 20 420 2049, and movies like that that are going to look just completely clean and crisp and like they were just made for 4K, and then you get the older movies that they're coming out with with reskins. That were not made. They're not shot in 4K. They're shot on film. Yeah, you told me about this. La- yeah, first and episode. you're you're getting like film grain. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, there, I, I have a bunch of those too. Like uh, the transfers for the the Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot and Braveheart, okay. both look incredible. Um, and didn't Blade the original Blade Runner looked incredible? The Bla- original Blade, Blade Runner looked great. Uh, so there's a lot of those too. Um, Braveheart's the one like when for me that's that's kind of the the benchmark in terms of that type of 4K like an older movie being brought to this well, this version of 4K. When does uh, 2001 um a space tomorrow oh. or actually today 11 minutes in so yeah today it drops. Well. Looks like I'm like I know what the next thing I'm buying. <laughs> all right, but let's move on. So uh yeah, we could go all day talking about that, but yeah. So uh, we got a new listener who keeps uh, giving me feedback, which I appreciate. And uh, we're actually trying a new method of recording due to his feedback. So I just want to give a shout-out to my best friend, uh, Jay. We call him Sweet Baby Jay. Although and, although I don't like his opinion on Blade Runner 2049. <laughs> yes, okay. I, I was that's still fine. bringing that up. That's fine. <laughs> Sweet Baby Jay is not the biggest fan of uh, Blade Runner 2049, but he has asked to be on the show, and I think we're going to get him in um, on the year-end show coming up in a few weeks. And uh, and some of our other friends are uh, going to record some of their top favorites as we go through ours. Uh, look for that around awards season. It's our uh, our section worth checking out. Uh, we have a number of movies here, and uh, looking at this, this is the bulk. I, I look at this list and I'm like, oh, we're going to go long again. Um, <laughs> yeah, literally, this uh, one is so we got many some stuff to talk about. <laughs> so many movies here, and I, I'm sure I know one movie that we're going to be debating. Now. We're very split on at least one of these movies. At least but, one, uh, yes. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll throw it to Reed here for a movie that I was excited to see until I, wa- I read Reed's review this morning on Letterboxd, and it immediately moved it to the bottom of my need to watch list. <laughs> Um, and Reed wants to uh, start this off on a big negative so he can rant a little. And that is Lars von Trier's uh, newest controversial. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of, um, I don't know if negative is the right word, but like uh, 
disgusted type things. It's a, it's a it's a shocking movie apparently, and that yeah. movie is the house that Jack built. Your house is a fine little house, Jack. Are you allowed to speak along the way? I was thinking there might be rules. Let me put it this way: very few make it all the way without uttering a word. But do carry on merrily. Just don't believe you're going to tell me something I haven't heard before. Oops, that was maybe a mistake. What was maybe a mistake? Me getting in this car with you. You might as well be a serial killer. Sorry, but you do kind of look like one. Take a look in the van, please, sir. I'd be a bad guy if I said no. Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization. So they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. The soul belongs to heaven, and the body to hell. Think about all the things I've done in my life, without in any way resulting in punishment. Yeah, um, shocking, but it's definitely not near his most shocking movie that he's ever made. Honestly, this was pretty—I don't want to say tame. <laughs> uh, the movie's marketed as like this, like gross psycho thriller, like horror killing movie. Uh, is kind of like the marketing behind it. And like almost disgusting, I guess you could say. And I really didn't find like the kills weren't really like that great. They weren't paid off. Basically, let me let me uh, kind of give some backstory to this film. So, like you said, this is Lars von Trier's latest film. He is definitely a interesting director, uh, to say the least. Have you seen much of his films? Question mark. I have not. Um, did he? He's been around for quite a while, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Since the I'm trying 90s. to, uh, I watched since the '90s. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, so I, um, I'm thinking of someone else then. So uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen any Lars. There was a movie I saw on Amazon Prime the other day. It's from the the early '80s, and it was in the same vein, like uh, in terms of controversy as this, as what I'm hearing from this movie. And it had um, uh, what's his name, Merle from Walking Dead. Uh, oh. I'm drawing a blank on him. Oh God, I'm drawing a blank on him too. You know what I'm talking about? A uh, guy, guy from Michael Rooker. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael. 
I don't think and, uh, I don't think that's him. Maybe. Yeah, uh, it, it it must be someone different. But uh, I I think when I was reading reviews of that movie, it was getting a lot of comparisons, or Lars von Trier was getting a lot of comparisons to that. So maybe in my mind, I kind of put the two of them together. But no, I don't think I've ever seen any. Yeah, he's done just to kind of name off some people. He's done Antichrist. Uh, some of his more popular ones recently. He did Nymphomaniac, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, Melancholia, which is actually a good movie that I recommend. Dancer in the Dark, which, uh, well, I can't remember her name. It stars, what's her name? Bjork. Uh, the act- it's the only movie she's ever done because uh, she did not like the experience <laughs> that much. Uh, she even like went on record uh, last year. She's like, there's a film I did in the early 2000s, and it's from a Swedish, I think that's what he is, a Swedish? Could be wrong. Director. And it's like... and. It- like it's he's he's supposed to be protected and hidden, but everyone's like, "This is the only movie you've ever done," so we all know who you're talking about here. But uh, yeah, Lars Frontier is very interesting. I enjoy the from the films I've seen. I've seen Antichrist, uh, I've seen Dogville, I've seen Dance in the Dark. Those three, I think, are the only three I've seen that I liked of his. Uh, while disturbing, very uh, you know. Uh, controversial, of course. Nymphomaniac, which came out in 2013, 14. Something like that. Uh, it's volume one and two. That fucking sucked. I hated both of those. <laughs> uh, and I was hoping he'd, he'd uh, continue on a more upward progression of this new film at Cannes this year. There was a major walkout from how disturbing, quote-unquote, it was. A lot of people just walked out, which is normal uh, for Lars von Trier because uh, he's very controversial there. I believe he's not even allowed to go. He's allowed to premiere. His films are allowed to premiere, but he's not allowed to go. Uh, anymore because during Melancholia, the press tour uh, in Cannes, he can, I guess, like his like <laughs> ancestor or or grandfather was a Nazi, so he said that he was a Nazi or something like that. It's oh, the most brother. awkward, awkward interview you'll ever, or awkward thing you'll ever see. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I was excited to see this film. I like you. I heard some. I there was some people I followed that just hated this movie, and then there were some people I followed that loved it that were given the same. It was like the best movie they've seen. So I went in with an open mind. And my feeling watching it, at least during that last half, was just annoyed. I was very annoyed by this film. It, this was like Lars von Trier sticking his head up his own ass and seeing how far he could go. <laughs> like, my goodness. There's, like, even, like, this one part during the film where there's, like, this whole monologue between him and, like, this, like, uh, I guess, what would you call him? Like, uh, like god-like figure or something like that that he's talking to, like, a little monologue that he's having. And he compares... Which is actually kind of in, this kind of interesting idea that like the the violence that we create in our films and that we watch in our films are kind of like uh, you know a parallel to violence we almost wish we could do or something like that in the real life, and like that's like an interesting idea and all. But then he starts showing like old clips of his old films, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? Why is this happening right now? And that's not really a spoiler because that doesn't have anything to do with the plot. But it's like, what are we doing here? Why are he's basically this movie is basically like a a uh, a character study on the director himself, like, and it's not really. I just felt so annoyed. This movie's two and a half hours long, and like, they just repeat the same shit about predator versus prey. It's like, what the? Why am I? Why are we watching this? Why are you playing? They play the same two songs. I can't remember what they are called, um, but they keep on playing these two songs. Over and over and over again, and it's it just got repetitive and annoying. And I feel like that's kind of what the purpose he was going with. But I was just so annoyed watching this. However, 
all that alone, I should be giving this movie like a one, one half star, two star. But I gave it two and a half, which is still not great. But there are some genuine great moments and great scenes and some great filmmaking at hand in this movie, which is why it's so annoying. Throughout all this bullshit that he creates in this film, there are some genuine great moments here that I really enjoyed. Uh, for starters, Matt Dillon is great as this awkward at first serial killer that's just you know kind of like the Dexter he tries to fake a smile you know all that good stuff he plays that character to a T um and he 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 does a great job in the film um some side characters are also great as well there's some really cringy scenes here that I loved um they just do it so well but I mean I was just annoyed throughout most of this film. And it was really sad because this was a film that I like was really looking forward to because, you know, Lars von Trier is always one that I'm going to check out his films no matter what the, uh, what kind of, what the overall reaction to it is because I just want to, it's, you always know you're going to get a unique experience and, uh, yeah, it was, it was something. I just felt really annoyed during this film through most of it. it it's two and a half hours and, I don't feel like it deserved that runtime at all, and it just kept on going and going, and they just kept on repeating the same things. And a lot of moments are just laugh out loud, like hilarious, in an unintentional way. Uh, but there are some genuine great moments here, which is really weird for me. It's such a weird film. Like, there's so much I have to say that I don't like about it, but it's also like there's so much that I actually do enjoy about it. Like, I don't regret watching the movie, and I wouldn't say don't watch it, but I just overall was annoyed. And there's a lot of people that really love this film, so I don't know. Maybe um, maybe some people. And also one thing, the editing I have to mention. I fucking hate this guy's editing. <laughs> in every film. In Nymphomaniac, I notice it the most. He will do this thing where it will be the same camera angle on a person. And then he'll just cut – in mid-scene, he'll just cut to a different take using that same camera angle that they used. It looks terrible. Why are you doing this? Why who? Why did your editor allow this or is allowing this to happen? He did this all in Infomaniac. Uh, Dance in the Dark was kind of the same. Uh, I'm trying to think of other movies. But, yeah, it happens multiple times here. And, like, at this point, he's just kind of taking it as a style. And I think it's more just laziness and not, like, literally shoot at a different camera angle. <laughs> just make it look so much better. Anyways, I'm done ranting about it. Uh, yeah, that's what I got to say about that house of Jack Bell. Kind of disappointing, disappointing to me, but um, I wouldn't say I necessarily regret watching it. It's definitely an experience. Uh, so yeah, that's all I got to say. I'm, I've talked for too long. I'm going to move on. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the video editing, the technicalities of video editing are always going to stand out worse for you and I being video oh, editors yeah. ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, all you had to say was two and a half hours, and my interest kind of just drops. Well, yeah, I mean, and yeah. Anyways, we'll get we'll get more into that in a later disputed film we're going to talk about. But yeah. I'm just so over movies being much so much longer than what they need to be. Yeah, well, like if I see that it's at two hours, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Once we get to two and a half, I'm like, okay, I'm tentative, but I'm gonna see it. You know, uh, anything two, over two two hours. I mean, you have to have a, a darn good reason for you're overstaying your welcome, and I better be captivated at the two hour point. Sure, yeah. But, and here, like the last twenty minutes were great, but that we're already over the two hour mark, and I was just, oh my god, I'm like, how much fucking longer is this movie gonna go? Anyways, uh, I'm done talking about it because uh, I got all my ranting out of the way. I want to talk about good stuff from now on. How does that sound? All right, um, just real briefly, I'm gonna throw out there. 
uh, I believe it was on maybe the first episode. Uh, you gave your thoughts on A Star is Born. I finally got around to watching it a few days ago. Um, I think it was last episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Was, was it last that... episode? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I... okay. Who knows? I don't know anymore. I'm losing track. Uh, but yeah, um, this is one of those rare movies where I, I think I come in under what you what you rated as. I usually rate things a little higher than you, but this is like the inverse. Um it was fine. It was, I mean, it was more than fine. For the first hour, I was really into it. I thought it like it's really enjoyable. I was, I was getting the appeal and everything, and then they just lost me. <laughs> Another movie, it was, it was longer than it needed to be, uh, and it wasn't even that long. Um, was it when Dave Chappelle showed up? <laughs> uh, Although I love Dave Chappelle, I'm sorry, Dave Chappelle, I love you. But yeah, it's. Um, I'm just being real brief with this because I'm not going to – I don't have a ton of uh, thoughts on this. I, I mean I'm sure it's going to clean up in award season. It's one of those movies yeah. that, that mixes mainstream and Oscar that everyone – like where everyone's happy so they inevitably win everything. But I just – I, I stopped, like The Shape of Water last year. I, I, I just stopped buying it. And then I'm, I won't spoil the ending, but the ending I just did not buy whatsoever. I was like, oh, it's really? ridiculous. I hated it. I – I love the ending, so that's that's something. <laughs> and uh, and then the uh, the fin- the final like montage at the I was just God, this is corny. Um, I thought you know I thought that was something. I know we want to be quick about this, but I just want to say real quick. I thought that was something that could be corny, but I thought I don't know. I thought it worked so well. I don't know, but I can see it's corny to me. <laughs> I know I can see where it can come off that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean it was fine. I think I, I landed three stars on it. It's it's definitely it's not. A, a terrible time to waste your it's not a terrible way to waste your time um bradley cooper's great in it lady gaga is amazing and it's um bradley cooper can sing man it's a, yeah. it's awesome uh some of the technicalities like i don't I, I this is what reed does this isn't the way i view movies very often but i i don't view things and look for technical stuff um they have to be pretty glaring for me to notice most of the time so that's saying something about this movie, but the way it was shot, there were some real technical things I didn't like about it. Um, and this might be getting a little too inside baseball, and I'll shut up about this because I've already gone on longer than I wanted to go on. But um, <laughs> there's a, a lot of barrel distortion in some of these shots, and what what that what that means is uh, it happens when you have a really wide wide angle lens. I mean, talking like you're talking like super wide, you're getting close to fisheye level of of distortion and on the on the left and right sides and sometimes on the top and bottom but in this movie it was on the left and right you get this weird distortion where people kind of look stretched out or misshapen kind of like a fun house mirror in a circus and uh there was a number of shots in this where that was absolutely happening and there was like no way there's ways to correct it digitally or at least make it a little bit better but and it didn't seem like an artistic choice because it it didn't really fit for those scenes. Like these were just talking scenes. So it was very weird. Uh, and I understand Bradley Cooper's a first time director. So um, maybe or some sort of, uh, I don't know going on there, but uh, and the editing felt very weird to me too. Uh, I don't know exactly. I, I couldn't put my finger on why it felt weird, but it felt weird. Uh, so that's about as in depth as I can get. But Fair I, um, also I saw Creed too. I don't think you haven't seen this yet. Reed, have you? No. It's good. Uh, not as good as Creed, the original, but still good. Uh, good soundtrack. 
Uh, if you if you like the first one, you probably like this one, maybe a little bit less. I, I think that seems to be the general consensus. Is it's good. It's not as good as the last, but it's good. Um, there's one humorous thing in it, like you know. Uh, so Creed is obviously Adonis or uh, Apollo Creed's son, mm-hmm. and then uh, in this movie you get Ivan Drago's son. And then there's another son character. And I'm like, is that is this whole movie just filled with the sons of former <laughs> Rocky stars? It, it got a little ridiculous, but it, it was fine. There was there's a uh, moments that I teared up a little bit just because I'm a baby. Nothing super emotional, but I'm I'm a baby. Um, so <laughs> again, it's it's worth seeing. It's but don't don't get your hopes up for like a, this this uh, revelation of a film like. Creed felt like for me it came out of nowhere and it was just an amazing breath breath of fresh air. This isn't that, but it's a solid follow up, I suppose. I mean, yeah. What what's what what was Creed the eighth movie movie uh, movie in this franchise or something like that or is it the ninth? <sighs> seventh. Seventh. Yeah. I mean, for a seventh movie to be that good, kind of great, kind of kind of crazy. Yeah. It has no right to really be that great. I mean, just look at Saw Seven. What a great movie that is. I'm trying to remember what happened in Saw 7. <laughs> All I remember about really Saw 7 is that they shot the film in 3D because 3D was a huge thing at the time, so all the blood was pink. Uh, yeah. And the lead uh, singer of Linkin Park was in it. That's all I remember. No, Chester. Yeah, yeah may he rest in peace. But yeah, that was that's all I remember. That's all I remember. I saw seven. I just remember it was freaking terrible. And then they had all these pipes traps because you know it was 3D and like what comes at you in 3D pipes. So yeah, those were terrible. Why did I go on a rant about Saw Seven? Yeah, why are Anyways, we talking about this? Why Moving on. <laughs> we'll save that for Sawcast when we review <laughs> all nine, Honestly, nine of them. I would not be. I would not be uh, disappointed by doing that. That'd be a fun episode. But anyways. Maybe next Halloween. <laughs> Maybe next Halloween, yeah. Okay, so uh, you saw Under the Silver Lake. I don't know much about this film, but I know you've been talking to me about it for a lot, uh, for a few months now, and you finally found it, and you were ecstatic. And uh, you rated it pretty highly, so uh, go ahead and talk about that. I saw you spying on me earlier. No, it wasn't. Okay. See you tomorrow? Good. What the? Who moves out in the middle of the night? Nothing strange about it. She wanted to leave. How does that not make sense? don't understand why she didn't tell me. Maybe she didn't like you. Maybe she knows you're poor and haven't paid your rent. I found some kind of code or like secret message in her apartment. It means stay quiet. Our world is filled with codes, subliminal messages from Silver Lake to the Hollywood Hills. Could any of this be connected to Sarah? I know this girl. There's a message in the music. Really think you're gonna find a hidden message in a pop song? One, two, three. Can't quite see it, but I'm close. Honey, how are you? Mom, I'm fine. Mostly fine. Um. 
Why do we assume that all of this information is what we're told it is? Maybe there are people out there who are more important than us, more powerful, communicating things in the world that are meant for only them and not for us. Yeah. Oh, you think that's weird? A little... Welcome to Purgatory. Good to be here. You're living in a carnival. Hoping to win a prize. What are you gonna win? So, uh, Under the Silver Lake is a movie that I've been looking forward to for a l- all year this year. So, it was originally going to come out in June, and then for some reason they pushed it back to December, which I think it was going to come out, like, December 21st, so, like, in four days. And then they pushed it back to April for whatever reason. A24, for whatever reason, decided to release it in different parts, uh, or decided to push it back for a whole year, which just seems so ridiculous. But then for some reason, they decided, I think it's because it premiered at Canvas Film Festival this year, and they decided, hey, we're going to release the Blu-ray in France. And of course, Canfield Film Festival takes place in France, so they released it in France, and uh, of course, you think, they probably think, oh, nobody's going to leak the movie. It's all over every <laughs> website you possibly can find it at, 1080p HD quality, um, I'm not saying torting is good. It is bad. It's illegal. Don't ever do it, people. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I was very excited to see this movie. And when I heard it got pushed back to April, I was very sad. And then when I saw it out there, I was like, holy shit, how is this happening? Who did this? Why? What's going on? Um, and uh, for a little backstory about the movie, um, it's uh, the, the director, uh, his name is David Robert Mitchell. He directed uh, It Follows, which was a film that I was very much liked. I came out of nowhere. It was a horror movie that I really liked. Um, and, of course, he brought over the same cinematographer who did It Follows uh, Split, which has really great cinematography, and this, of course. And he's doing the uh, Unbreakable Split sequel. Um, so I, I was very excited. And it stars Andrew Garfield, who's, like, one of my favorite actors right now. So I was very excited for it. And when I saw it up there, of course, I said I got excited. And, uh, yeah, this... Um, this movie was awesome, man. Like, this movie's two hours. I think maybe even a little longer than that. It felt like an hour and 20 minutes. This movie flies by. The Everything about this movie I I loved. So basically the whole setup of the movie is uh, Andrew Garfield finds... He meets this girl in his apartment complex, which there's an homage to Rear, Rear Window, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, so, of course, I'm going to love it. But... Um, he, he finds this girl who uh, – he talks to this girl who he basically almost pretty much falls in love with with one night, and she all of a sudden goes up missing. So then he tries to do everything that he can to find her, and it leads to – this is basically like a 50s movie made now. It's so interesting and so awesome that this movie was even made. It's so different. I, I fucking love this movie. I had such a blast watching it. Um, the set – one thing I got to say, the set design with this movie was fantastic. Um, because every set, every new location they go into is so unique and interesting to look at and fun. Like every new location they go to is just you. You're captivated by like this whole landscape of 
everything. It, it was so, so great. The writing also is incredible. Uh, the characters I like, Andrew Garfield, you know, he'll never top that Social Network performance for me because Social Network is my favorite movie of all time. He'll never top that. Um, but here he actually, this in silence and the Social Network is probably his best performance. Here he is just an interesting character. And, um, you know, he starts off as like this hippie kind of guy and then he just transforms into like this. You just really get behind his character and you really like almost root for him and try to figure out what's going on. It's it's awesome. I love this movie so much. Um, I highly recommend it. It sucks that uh, this movie... I, I can't wait to see it again in, in theaters when it comes out in, what, April? Yeah, I can't wait to see it again uh, because I just love this so much. It, it was such a fun... I just, it was just one of my most pleasure... Ugh, I can't speak. Pleasurable movie-watching experiences this year. I like just really enjoyed watching this movie. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, it is different. It is a bit weird. This is su- it's such a unique film. There is no other film like this, and that's something that I love because it's so different than It Follows. It Follows was just this horror movie about about a, a ghost following you <laughs> and trying to kill you, whereas this, this is just a whole different thing, and it's awesome to see this guy's versatility. And I love in a. I forget the cinematographer's name, but he's one of my favorite work, and he uses like these really wide angles, uh, uh, wide, <laughs> wide English. I'm just not going to talk. Uh, he uses these wide angle lenses. There we go. Uh, but like they're not too wide. They're not like fisheye lens, but they're just he just uses them so well, and he always has great color grading, uh, great lighting. I should say great lighting that he always uses. Uh, you know the other two films I've seen that he's cinematography is a horror movie. Um, so he uses like the, these really low angles and whatnot, um, but here he just he brings to life L.A. If as much as L.A. needed to be to bring to life, a lot of vibrant shots here. It's just such a great film, man. Such a great film. I I really loved. It. I think I went four and a half on this one. It's definitely out there. This will probably be in my uh, top ten list at the end of the year. I can almost assure of that. So yeah, highly recommend. I won't talk anymore. <laughs> Well, I'm going to need you to talk because we got another three hours to get through here. I know. So um, I'll talk real briefly. Um, I saw a movie called Leave No Trace uh, last week, and this came out earlier this year. It was getting some buzz. I noticed it. Uh, I believe it was on David Ehrlich's uh, year-end uh, list for the uh, top ten of the year. Actually, he does like a top 25 of the year. And um, our buddy AD saw it and liked it a lot, too. And it had been on my watch list for a while, so I finally buckled down and watched it. And this is a really great little flick. Um, I think you'd like it a lot, actually. Sorry for making you worry about me. If we had a phone, I could have called you. I've always been able to communicate without all that. I think it might be easier on us if we try to adapt. We're wearing their clothes, we're in their house, we're we're eating their food, we're doing their work. We have adapted. The only place we can't be seen is in this house. We can still think our own thoughts. Like you said. What if the kids at school think I'm strange? 
Because of the way we're living? How important are their judgments? Yes, I'll find out. By the person that did Winner's Bone, right? I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's very minimalist. It's a. It's a. It's a quiet picture, but it's. It has a lot of intensity, like kind of boiling underneath the surface. And uh, I, I won't get spoiler <laughs> spoilery on it, but I, I put in my review. It has a, a duality about it, and basically, it's about this uh, father and daughter, and. You don't know why, but they, they're living in the woods, and he's obviously – I mean they're very close, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Like he's one of those types of guys, and he's taught his daughter very well, and she knows – like she knows how to survive. They're survivors, um, and uh, this isn't spoiling anything. It, it happens early in the movie, but they, they get found out and caught, and basically uh, like uh, child child services basically like – trying to figure out what's going on and, and why they're living in the woods and they're trying to get them back into society. Um, to go to say anything more than that would be treading a little too deeply into the movie. You do find out why they're living in the woods. Um, and I, I think that's kind of all I want to say about it. I, I realize I'm not selling it at selling it too well here, but a lot of the charm of this movie is just kind of going on the ride and, and with them and figuring out why basically why the dad is the way he is. Um, it has one of the more heartbreaking endings that I can remember in recent memory. Um, but even that it's with every one emotion, there's like a flip side. Um, and that's what I mean by the duality. It's a, a yin and yang type thing. And the yin and yang is the daughter and, and the, the father. Um, but with every like sad moment, there's a hopeful one that's just under the surface. Or for every quiet moment, which is a lot of the film, there's a, a real intensity on the other side. Um, so it's really interesting. One of my one of the critics I follow on Letterboxd, uh, he put it as as good as anyone that I, that's any of the reviews that I've read. Uh, he said, uh, it's Sam Van Hogren, uh, who's a, a producer for the Film Spotting podcast. And he put, I can't think of another movie that made me see the world from two different perspectives simultaneously. Seriously, how did Granick do that? Granick is the director. And that is absolutely like nail on the head. Um, exactly what, what, what happened. Usually you're lucky. I mean, with most movies, you're lucky to get a worldview or a stance or, or something of value. And in this movie you're getting two simultaneously and it's not, it's not a one or the other type thing. It's, I completely see both sides of it. And I, I can't imagine someone watching it and not seeing both sides of it because there's no real malice in this film. It's just one person believes this way. One person believes this way. They both have great reasons for believing the way they believe. And, uh, and that's really the, the, a lot of the crux of the movie. But um, you should definitely check it out, Reed. I think you would like it a lot. Um, I don't know if it will end up in your top top ten list, um, but I, <laughs> I think it has a good chance of it. And it's not super long. I think it's two hours, maybe a little less. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It is a quiet movie, 
it's not something it's bombastic or like you're gonna um get a lot of energy from it but it's it's really beautiful and it next to roma which we're going to talk about in a little bit it has some of the best cinematography i've seen all year it's just gorgeous mm-hmm. um and obviously i mean you're shooting in the woods you got a lot of nature stuff it's I, I mean, I had I was watching it in HD, but I imagine there will be a 4K release soon, and I'm excited for that. But just the just the the beauty of it, like the the way it was shot, was just really really great. I've never seen any of the director's prior work. I'm interested to now, um, but she obviously knows what she's doing with the camera because this was gorgeous. Um, and it, in in that in that beauty of the way it's shot. It's completely watchable. At never at no point did I ever feel feel bored by this movie, or feel like it overstayed its welcome. And I have, admittedly, a very low tolerance for that kind of thing. I I don't. I mean, like I like I said earlier, if you're if you're over two hours, you better have a darn good reason for being over two hours, or I mean, be entertaining the crap out of me to where I I feel like you should go three hours, which is pretty rare. But um, again, leave no trace. I love this film. I thought it was great. I think I landed four stars on it. Uh, yeah, just uh, just a really good movie. And I should I, I imagine it's probably getting a physical release soon because it's been in theaters for it was a while ago. So um, I'll throw it over to you. You went and saw. The favorite today, which is another film, you, film you've been talking about for a while, by uh, Lord knows my favorite director, Yorgos Lanthimos. Um, but uh, I actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. I saw the trailer. I can't remember what movie it was attached to. I saw the the trailer in the in a movie theater, and uh, thought, immediately thought, "Oh, this looks pretty good." And then I saw Yorgos's name, and it's like, "Ah, oh, I'm destined to hate this." <laughs> um, but from from what you're telling me, I, I don't think I will. I hope not. Because this is great. I am a person of honor, even if my station is not. Even if I were the last one left in this wretched place, I would remain a lady. (laughs) You're pretty when outraged. So my secrets are safe with you? All of them. Good. Even your biggest secret. Abigail. If you forget to load the pellet, the gun fires, makes a sound, but releases no shot. It is a great jape, do you agree? Yes. Maybe we will think of a use for it one day. Sometimes it is hard to remember whether you have loaded the pellet or not. I do fear confusion and accidents. I'm sure people will be careful. Uh, although, who knows? You did give Killian a sacred deer of one and a half. We'll talk. That's a conversation for another day. It's a but, garbage uh, movie. You're a garbage movie. <laughs> but, um, anyways. No, I, uh, I greatly enjoy everything Yorgos has done up until this point. Besides one movie, I can't remember what it's called, but I just have not seen it. Uh, it came out in 2011. I can't remember the name. But, um, it's the only film I haven't seen of his. But everything else I've seen, I've enjoyed. Uh, and I think this is his best movie. It's definitely his most accept, uh, accessible and his most mainstream movie. Um, he uh, is pretty – this is pretty uh, – even though it's pretty mainstream and accessible, it's still fucking weird. It's still a weird movie, um, but not as weird as his other ones. Um, so uh, fun fact about this. This script – so this is the first film that Yorgos has not written. 
um, with him and his I forget his other his writing buddy that he's wrote his other films with. But this is the first one that he has not wrote, which is probably why this is his most accessible one. Um, characters talk uh, like humans, even as uh, Beach has mentioned. Uh, as that's one of Beach's criticism, I should say, with Killing of a Sacred Deer. The uh, main criticism. The main criticism, I should say. Uh, he uh, he did not write this one. This film was actually written in 1998, and it was not financed for the reason that uh, you know. Uh, let's just say. I guess if I explain that it's not financed, it uh, it kind of would spoil the movie, wouldn't it? But, um, yeah, so I shouldn't say that, huh? But it wasn't financed for a while for a specific reason. If you watch the movie, you probably know the reason why. Because um, I didn't know that reason so th- before the movie, so that's why I don't want to explain it. Um, Is it like a controversial it. thing that happens? In no, the- well, it's a main plot uh thing that happens in the movie that kind of comes unexpectedly. Yeah, it does kind of come unexpectedly. Um, it's something that you could kind of make point, no, excuse me, kind of, you could put two and two together if you watch the trailer, but I didn't notice. And obviously I don't watch the trailers, so I wouldn't know. So I don't want anyone to know going in. I want everyone to be kind of surprised if when it does happen. So, uh, I'm not going to mention that, but it wasn't finance for 20 years, uh, you know, 19 years. And then, uh, all of a sudden it was finance and now the movie's happening, um, happening it happened it's out uh <laughs> um yeah i uh i freaking love this movie man um the dialogue uh is just fantastic this movie is genuinely hilarious like it's uh it, it reminds me of a of a blind spotting with the funniness like uh not like comedy really? not the comedy in and of itself like it doesn't have the same comedy per se but where the characters are just funny not like the movie is trying to be funny. Like, there's no punchlines. Like, they're not trying to set up punchlines. The characters in the writing are just genuinely funny, and you just genuinely laugh at some of the things that they say. Kind of like Blind Spotting there. That's what it reminded me of a bit. Just the characters are all genuinely funny, and then they just say they just say funny stuff that happens. Um, and yeah, uh, this was just a really great film. Yorgos, uh, he. He he likes to use natural light. That was something in Killing the Sacred Deer. If he doesn't have to use, uh, you know, uh, what, what, you know, big lights. If he doesn't have to use light, either studio lighting, then he'll use natural light. And this whole film is natural light. Um, kind of like Barry Lyndon. It reminded me a lot of Barry Lyndon, which is a movie that might I might pick later for a deep dive one day because um, I know you haven't seen it. And, I've been um, waiting for that selection. Yeah, that that will happen probably eventually one day because that movie also is a, a period piece in the same time, um, and uh, it also uses all natural light. And that's one of the most beautiful movies of all time. If they ever do a 4K release of that, I'm buying that immediately. But, um, yeah, so anyways, um, the, the acting, too, like I said, everyone is incredible. Um, let me uh, pull up her name real quick. Emma Stone, for one, is fantastic as as usual. Um, Olivia Coleman, she steals the show. Uh, she honestly might win for like all the best actor actress. Excuse me, because um, she's probably the best performance I've seen this year. She pulls such a great wide variety of emotions of crazy, of lovable, of kind to just sad. Uh, she she does everything so so well. Um, she's just incredible. She's might be the best performance I've seen all year. Um, 
she was fantastic, and so is everyone. There is not a bad performance in this movie. Everyone in this movie is just fantastic. Everyone did their jobs perfectly. Um, if there is my one criticism with this movie, uh, is not. I guess it might be my one, and it's hardly a criticism. They use uh, so they use a lot of wide angle lenses in this film. Um, I'll. No, I wouldn't say a lot. There's a lot. There's some that they use a really wide angle lens, of course, but the, the widest they go is a fisheye lens. They use a fisheye lens in a couple shots here, um, which honestly are fine because there's there some points that make it actually look really cool. And it's only for like a couple shots, um, and the shots don't go long at all. But there's this one time where they used it, and I just did not like. They use it during like an intense scene between three or four characters, and they just and the whole scene before that is just shot in you know your normal lens and then all of a sudden it's just wide angle fisheye lens during this thing and it's like what the why 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 throughout this whole conversation it's like it's it's kind of like when christopher nolan shoots a whole scene in regular in a regular film camera and then decides to go imax and it changes the aspect ratio mid-scene it's like why why don't why not just shoot the whole whole thing in 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 this one scene like why not shoot this whole scene in this one and this one camera, you know, it just it just felt weird. It just felt out of normal there, um, and it kind of took me out of that scene for a minute. But uh, other than that, this film was incredible. And the sound, I forgot to mention my letterbox review. Maybe I did, but I the score was fantastic. I love the score. The score was great. Um, do I have anything else to say? No, this is a great film. This is definitely going to be in my top ten as well. Uh, I highly recommend it, and I think Bees will like it too. Um, you might not love it as much as I will, but I definitely think you will like it. Um, and it's something I would recommend. So, yeah. It definitely looked interesting to me from the trailer, but again, I try to not pay a ton of attention to trailers nowadays, but, um, sure. that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of fisheye lenses, I feel like this is a natural segue. Minding the gap. Take one. I'm making this film because I saw myself in your story. I always felt like I didn't fit in with my family. My parents ran this very controlling house. I ran away a lot. Skateboarding is more of a family than my family. How did you get disciplined? I mean, well, they call it child abuse now, but... Life might be moving too fast. We have to fully grow up and it's gonna suck. When you're a kid, you just do, you just act. And then somewhere along the line, everyone loses that. I knew you had some huge weight on you. Skateboarding meant more to you. It was kind of a life or death thing. I remember hearing screaming coming from your room, and it was like really, really unnerving. One of the last things I said to my dad was that I hate you. You can't just have a child and abandon them. Life doesn't work like that. I just don't want him to grow up like me. I just want to hide. I just want to run away. That's what the drinking is about. Maybe you're right. Maybe I need to just move on. I wish you could. I wish then I could do over. I could seriously be on the verge of having a mental breakdown. But as long as I'm able to go skate, I'm completely fine. <laughs> so... This is a movie that I adored. I've seen it. It's been a few weeks since I've seen it. I've been trying to. I've been nagging Reed I, I, at least five times. I guess nagging, <laughs> just like, watch, minding the gap. Stop talking to me and go watch this film. It you took him. 
You tried to do it before the, ep- the our, our last episode. Yeah, it was going to be on the last episode, and the Reed didn't watch it in time. So instead of just me talking about it, because I loved it too much that I wanted like an actual discussion about it, I pulled it and moved it to this one, and then got on him n- nagging him again to uh, to view before we record again. Because otherwise, I was going to pull it and move it to the next episode. <laughs> but uh, I, I I just I adore this movie so much. So and it's it's one of the most accessible films. Uh, that we're going to talk about it's okay. on hulu right now it's a hulu exclusive dude just get a free trial watch it and then you can cancel um <laughs> but this movie is absolutely worth worth it so minding the gap on the surface level it just looks like a skateboarding documentary i love skateboarding i've, I've never been a skateboarder but i've always been into the culture of it and everything um always enjoyed watching movies about it documentaries etc so that pulled me in like for me that's an interesting topic for the layman i I can see why people would just kind of write it off it's just a skateboarding documentary but oh boy is this movie so much more than that um so the filmmaker and i should pull up his uh information here because this this kid is amazing oh yeah he's great i'll pull up here so um his name's bing lu bing lu and uh, just a kid, uh, maybe in his twenties at this point, but this he ha- he's had the the foresight. You you never find out. Obviously, his aspirations are become a, to become a filmmaker because he did become a filmmaker. Um, but I don't know if that was his initial aspirations. But he for all these years he's been recording footage of his like group of friends. It's. The main, I mean, it's a little group that there's three main characters, and he's he himself is one of them. He's the documentarian, but he is very much a part of this story, um, which is interesting. Usually, the documentarian's kind of on the outside looking in. He's very much on the inside, and he's just filming this as it goes. Um, and then he has uh, two friends, and he's documenting their their lives as well. And uh, he starts at a very young age. I mean, they're like what? maybe 12 something like that and he's recording like obviously he's doing their skateboarding stuff that's how they kind of came together became friends they're all skateboarders and uh the thing starts out as just a way of coping and you find out each each person that i'm gonna call them uh guys it's three three main male characters but they all have different reasons for skating and it's not just because you know skating is fun. It's for each one of them. It's an escape in various ways, and you learn more about that as the movie goes on. And I'll keep. I'll try to be as brief as possible because I I don't want to ruin anything <laughs> in this movie. Although as brief as possible. Yeah, that's, this. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard about this show. <laughs> that's uh, this this we could do a deep dive on this, and it would be a very worthy movie of that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But uh. They start out as three kids, and they're skating for their reasons. And as they grow up, you I mean, just as is life, we all grow up, and some of us become different people. Some of us compromise certain aspects of what we believe or who we are. And one of these characters is not such a great person in their elder years. In elder – I speak as elder as, like, early 20s. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> and 40 years it's, old. It's very interesting how that not goodness, that thing that this kid, this guy's been accused of, 
and it seems very likely how it intersects with the documentarian's own life, the stuff that he's been through, and his own reasons for skateboarding in the first place. Uh, is, this is very tough to not give away some major yeah. points to this. So I, I, I'm being very vague, and I, I realize it's uh, it might be sounding like nonsense right now. But this is really just a film. Just don't watch such. Don't watch a trailer. Don't watch. Any, just go watch it. It's not long. Ninety three minutes, and it goes by quick. It's um, it's it's always engaging from minute one to the very last minute. Again, I'm going to have to speak very generally, but Bing Liu interviews his mother for this document document documentary, and. He always, I mean, he has the camera set up on her, but he also has another camera off to the back set up on him because he's very much a part of this. And not only is he interviewing her for this document documentary for the purposes of you know having interviews as he as one does for a documentary, but it's almost like a um, a therapy session, sort of like exercising some demons from their past and why what made Bing Lu the way he is now, stuff that he's carried with him since, you know, when he first started filming stuff, when he first got into skateboarding. And uh, that provided some of the most emotional stuff. I mean, that was, it, it's heavy stuff. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating how it completely intersects what his friend is going through or what his friend is dealing with it, it, it just it's 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 one of those things. It's such a weird twist of fate that they, they intersect so well that it's almost like this can't be real, but it absolutely is. And it's, I'm not even talking about the third friend, who, in my opinion, is possibly I mean, he's the most engaging character of the film in the stuff that he's dealt with in in losing his father. And that's not a, a big spoiler; it's given away very early. Oh yeah, he was my my <clears throat> most engaging one. Yeah, he's sure. easily the most. I mean, easily the most likable, easily the most accessible. In it's hard to say. There's a more emotional story than Bing Luce because Bing Luce, Bing Lu for a lot of the movie, isn't a huge part of it. But he's when the he, guy behind the camera, he's the guy questions. behind the camera, and that's what it is. But when he becomes a part of it, it becomes a very big thing. Before then, like this third character is very much a kind of the star of the show. Like the, another, another fascinating thing is, and, and such is life. We, you have these three, three main characters. Not everyone goes through stuff at the same time. Not everyone's on the same time frame, uh, which is something I have to remind myself all the time, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, Stuff doesn't happen for everyone all at the same time. It does. Age is relative. Like, yeah, you're all the same age, but my life experiences aren't the next guy's life experiences. And the stuff that happens to the next guy isn't the stuff that's going to happen to me just because we're the same age. And um, this third character that we're speaking of, the the really engaging one, and I wish I, I really should have wrote down their names, but um, he deals with a lot of crap early on at a young age, and he's he's skateboarding from a kind of like an angry place he, to do, he needs something to do with that anger um, so a lot of his stuff 
happens very early on at a young age. So in the very fir- in like the first act of the documentary, he's he's very much a focal point, a big focal point. Um, and then it, it starts to shift a little as you know various issues arise in these young men's lives. That's as much as I, I'm going to say without spoiling anything. But just trust me. If you're going to trust me on one thing uh, <laughs> this year that I say, go seek this out. I went four and a half on it for a documentary. That's that's a lot. I love documentaries. Rarely do I go like near perfect. Um, but this was this is it's a skateboarding documentary. If you enjoy skateboarding, there's a lot of that, and that's it. There's a culture behind it that that's very much like threaded into this into this movie but this is very much not a skateboarding documentary it's a life documentary and um man it's just it's so good and it's it's just, it's crazy that this this Bing Lu is this good because even the skateboarding footage is just so beautifully shot oh yeah like there's a there's a real photographer's eye behind everything it's done here um it's just it's it's really amazing work. This will de- absolutely end up on my top ten of the year list, um, maybe even top five. I just I fell in love with this, loved it so much. So you go ahead and talk. I'm I'm curious to hear what you thought. Well, I don't have much else to add because everything you said is basically how I felt. Um, this film was so beautiful, like just such a beautiful film, and that it shows the the great in humanity and what we can do for each other and then also the evil that happens um and i love i love the skateboarding why they skateboard because i do stuff in my life for the kind of the same reasons as far as just escaping this world that we all live in we all need an escape it's where friendship is based on (laughs) exactly where you know movie you know people can find escape in movies music uh all sorts of entertainment one of those is skateboarding and i completely understand it um and then it, it it's kind of crazy how this just story just kind of it, it's almost like a a feature almost feels scripted a bit you know what i mean like some of the some of the 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 story elements that gets played out and of course you know not all documentaries are 100% legit uh you know sometimes they can manipulate something in the thing to kind of show a narrative but still, that narrative is real, and this just felt so real and so genuine. Even if this was an actual movie, a scripted movie that somebody wrote out, I think I would still have the same reaction as I did here. This was just so well done that I almost forgot that I was uh, – I don't want to say forget I was watching a documentary. I was just like, man, this is just feels so – like I, it's so hard to describe this movie the, or this documentary. This was such – this is definitely one of the better documentaries I've seen in a while. I'm trying to think of like a really great documentary that came out because this was just, and I love documentaries too. Um, I'm a, but like this was just incredible. Um, all the characters, like well, like you mentioned, the, the third one. I'm forget. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, but he, I think his story and kind of a certain scene that I I don't want to talk about uh, because it is spoilery. But it made me tear up, like during a certain part and something that he says. He just it made me tear up, and I I I just started tearing up. I was like, oh my god, this this is that's when I knew this film. It was towards late in the film, but that's when I was like, yep, yeah, this film's incredible. This just reinsures it. Uh, yeah, this was this was great. I have it's hard for me to even like you said with the skateboarding too. 
it helps that obviously he's been filming for a while and obviously wants to be a filmmaker. So the skateboarding is kind of just almost years of practice and every, but everything still looks so beautiful. Like it and like if, if this was in the hand, which is kind of crazy to say because he's I, he's probably my I mean I'm 21 so he's probably maybe a little bit older than me not much maybe we're the same age who knows but the fact that he has this good of an eye I, like if if it was this was meant direct this was in the hands of anyone else I don't think this would have worked but obviously of course it can't because this this is just a story about a bunch of friends that escape and like you said i when this first started i was like oh a skateboarding documentary interesting but i knew that there was something deeper to that because it i love this film it's hard for me to come up with words to say because uh, you said like everything i'm trying not to repeat what you said but man what a great documentary man i'm glad that i watched it i know it took me a while to watch it uh not that i thought uh it was gonna be bad or anything but it just took a while to watch and uh but this was this was great this was freaking great. If, if there is one documentary that I can recommend this year, it's this one. Absolutely. This so um, I saw Into the Spider-Verse today, and I wanted to talk about it briefly. Reed hasn't seen it yet, although Reed coming in with uh, kind of zero desire to see it until he saw all the reviews. Now he says he's pretty excited to see it. I absolutely yeah. – I, I adored this. I thought this was – Listen, I loved Infinity War more than most people, I think. I went four and a half stars on Infinity War. I thought it was ballsy, and I, I thought it was great. And while watching this, and I was like thinking, like, this might be the best comic book movie of the year. And and in turn, maybe the best of the last few years. Uh, I, I went four and a half on Into the Spider-Verse, which is something I would have never expected. I gotta get in pants. Wait, why is the voice in my head so loud? Oh, are you okay? I'm Miles. I'm Gwanda. Wait, your name is Gwanda? Yes, it's African. I'm South African. Uh, no accent, though, because I was raised here. Hey. Okay, then. Uh, I'll see you around. See you. <laughs> hey! Um... <laughs> I ow, ow, can't ow, calm let down. go. It's fine, just. Ow, ow. Miles, let go. Working on it. It's just puberty. I don't think you know what puberty is. Just relax. Okay, I have a plan. I'm going to pull really hard. That's a terrible plan. One. Don't do this. Two. Three. Nice to meet you. Sure. Total pleasure. This was just. Oh, man, this. This, it, it, it's like a breath of fresh air, especially if you're sick of comic book movies. Me. This is a breath of fresh air. Like this, um, I don't know if I, reinvents the right word because I don't know that it reinvents, but it just reinvigorates everything. Uh, in my review, I said it's the most comic book, comic book movie that you're going to see. And that's not just because of the animation style, although that's a big part of it. The animation in this is beautiful and it's odd and it's quirky and it's inventive and it's just, ah, uh, man, it was just such a joy to watch. Like from frame one, I just, I knew that I was just, and this movie's over two hours long. It's just a, it peaks over two hours. I just knew like I was going to enjoy the entire ride of it. Um, so uh, real briefly, uh, no spoilers. 
it's Miles Morales as Spider-Man, who's Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, and some stuff happens that it opens the multiverse, and you get all the different variations of the Spider-Man, or some of the different variations of the Spider-Man. There's many more. Um, but uh, they have a lot of fun with this. And this is a movie that there's a real heart to it, but it's also, it doesn't take itself so seriously. I mean, it has spider pig in it. <laughs> so Peter does Porker, really? wait, does it really? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, this is also a movie that is very aware of itself. It makes fun of itself. It makes fun of the prior Spider-Man movies. Uh, there's, I, this is a tad spoilery. It's just one, a, a quick gag in the beginning of the movie, so I'm not giving away any serious plot or anything. But it makes fun of the Spider-Man three dance. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, which was marvelous. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff like that. On top of all that, there's so much stuff crammed into the backgrounds of the scenes that I mean, it almost demands you to rewatch it a few times to catch everything i and, and some of it's not even comic book stuff like there are scenes where, that happen in times square and you know how they have all the advertisements and stuff you mm-hmm. see fake movie posters and some of those are just hilarious uh there was one for a sequel to bridesmaids oh god and i can't I, i'm drawing a blank now as to what it was called but it was really funny and it had like it was kind of like a in the same vein as the bridesmaids poster, you have all the the women posing and everything. Uh, is it kind of like the Lego Batman movie where they just make fun of Spider Man for a lot of it? Maybe no, not a lot of it. I wouldn't but... say it's not as irreverent as Lego Batman because it's. I mean, it, there's a lot of funny humor and everything to it, but it's not like there's there's a lot of seriousness to it too. Um, they better make fun of the Amazing Spider Man movies because those were. Dog doo doo. <laughs> it makes fun of all the prior Spider-Man movies. Well, there you go. Um, but it's it's still it's still a comic book movie. It's still um, there's still a lot of heart to it. it. It makes fun of origins a lot, which is hilarious because every time there's a new Spider-Man, uh, it's like, all right, I'll say this one more time, and it goes through another origin. <laughs> uh, so that that was pretty funny. Um, but in this, you got Spider Pig, um, you got Spider Gwen, uh, Gwen Stacy's version of Spider Man. You got Spider Man Noir, who was my favorite, who's voiced by Nicolas Cage. And, uh, Are you serious? Okay, I, I gotta I'm see absolutely this serious. Now. I gotta see this now. Not only that, it's Nicolas Cage doing like a 19, 19, 1930s noir type Hollywood <laughs> voice. Oh my god, I gotta see this now. And uh, he he appears and. Um, he appears in a basement, and uh, this is mild spoilers, so fast forward 10 seconds if you want, but it's not giving away any plot. But he, he appears in a, a basement, and one of the characters goes, where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. <laughs> and he goes, he's, he says something effective, it, it's windy everywhere I go. It smells like rain. <laughs> it's just oh like goodness. this over-the-top noir <laughs> dialogue that was just wonderful and you can argue between this and mandy nicholas cage we're on the verge of a another golden age of nicholas cage films and i'm so I, excited for it I, I still need to see mandy oh you haven't seen mandy yet no that's a film that i've had my that and leave no trace both are on my like computer on my computer waiting to be watched i just for some reason haven't yeah i could have swore we talked about mandy before i guess you haven't seen it then no i haven't seen it man that movie's like dropping acid 
for like yeah, two I, hours, I, just dropping acid. <laughs> I've heard, yeah. It's a, uh, it's awesome though. Anyway, uh, I'll wrap it up because otherwise I'm just gonna start explaining all the gags and everything in the movie because it's just so funny. But there's so much heart to this. There's, um, I just want to throw this out there. There is a Stanley cameo in it. From what I understand, what I've read, it was his final cameo to be recorded. Um, and it is very poignant. I obviously, I don't. It's hard to say. I, I guess he's been in poor health. I mean, the guy was like 95, so obviously. It's one of those things. I I wanted to believe he was going to be around forever. Uh, obviously, it's not the way life works. But <clears throat> I don't know if they wrote it with that in mind that it could be his last or or whatnot. But it's it it's a it's a humorous line that he throws out. But there's a double meaning to it, and I don't know, it almost brought tears to my eyes. And then at the end, it's not a cameo. I mean, you get the one Stanley in movie cameo that he usually does. But they throw up a quote. And this quote is just so perfect for encapsulating everything that the movie was. It encapsulates all the themes, everything that this movie was, and then everything that Stanley was. And it like, it was just like tears immediately. Um, yeah, it's just it's so good. Um, stay, like most, like every Marvel movie, stay after the credits. There's another. It, it's actually a really funny uh, post-credit scene. Um, it's well worth sticking around for. So anyway, I went four and a half on that again, one of the best of the year. I loved it so much. And I'm, I can't wait for Reed to see it cause I'm interested to see what he thinks. Nice. Um, but we're going to move on to, to Roma here. <laughs> this is a, this is a, a big split for us, unfortunately. Um, so I'll let Reed talk about it cause Reed absolutely loved it. Uh, and then I'll talk about my issues with it. Yeah, uh, Roma. Wow. Um, 
So this is a film I was looking forward to. Uh, I didn't even know this was like happening until I want to say like around TIFF, so probably about September. Had no idea this movie was coming out, uh, and then I heard it. People giving rave reviews to it. Um, it's Alfonso Cuarón, uh, first film since Gravity, which was five years ago, and then before that, he hadn't made a film in seven years, which was Children of Men, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Gravity, I'm kind of split on. Uh, Gravity, I think, is a great film for in the in the theater. I saw it on IMAX 3D, the way that like it should be experienced, um, and it was fantastic. Watching it at home and or watching it again, it's kind of uh, it's okay. It's fine. It's a pretty cool experience, pretty great cinematography, even though uh, a lot of it is CG, but um, this one I kind of fall in the middle on. This one I was looking forward to, of course, and then I heard it was on, coming out on Netflix. I was like, huh, that's interesting. Netflix is getting all the big movies this year. And um, this is a film I can't stop thinking about since I saw it a couple days ago. Um, certain scenes in this film, I don't think I've been affected by... Two scenes in particular. I don't think I've been emotionally affected by something like that in a long time. And every time something around like that is mentioned, like as far as just conversations between me and someone else or something in my life that just kind of triggers it, I I think about this movie and I think about these scenes. Um, well, just um, for my own knowledge, and I, I won't spoil anything. Sure. The two scenes you're speaking of, let me just guess because I – I'm curious. Was it the gun scene? Was one of them the gun scene? The gun scene. No. Okay, and the the confession scene. Her her big confession at the end. Sure. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. yeah. The guns. But the the gun scene after. Let's just say after what happens during the gun scene, a certain thing happens. Am I? Okay. Th- I think. Yes, okay, yeah. After the gun scene, the thing that happens after really messed with my head. And then the conv- – and that those two – What When you say what happens after, you're talking about in the same scene. I like – like after the scene, what – like I can't – this is so hard not to talk about. <laughs> can we just spoil this movie? Is that something we can do? Uh, I, we, I, I spoiled Buster Scruggs last episode. Okay, people, we're going to spoil this movie. Okay. Just let's say this right here. It's on Netflix now. If you haven't watched it yet, pause this. Go watch it. It's You're either going to agree with me or you're going to agree with Reed. And I don't see there's much middle ground. No, I think, yeah, I, I definitely think it's one that people are going to love. Or people are going to think, yeah, there was good. it was well made, but... Yeah, I did not hate this movie. I went three stars on it. Yeah, that's still a good. That's good. And like, it's it's a it's a gorgeous movie. This is this is the most gorgeous movie of the year, cinematography wise. Which is crazy because Alfonso Cuarón did the cinematography himself. And like it's he, it's it's meticulous and it's mundane, but it's I mean, this movie quite literally makes dog crap look gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, I think the know, black and white helps big time with that too. The black and white is beautiful. Every I mean just. You, we, I'm sure we'll talk about the technicalities, but we're going to spoil it from here on out, just for the for the for the sake of debate, for the sake of debate, and for the sake of not being vague. Yeah, again, <laughs> I can't. I can't, when I was trying, to, I can't not. Okay, so spoilers: three, two, one. The scene where she has the kid, and the oh, kid okay, dies. okay, okay. I thought I thought you were talking. Well, the scene with the gun, obviously, when the the the, the riots are happening, and the guy gets yeah, shot yeah. and comes out of the closet, shot, and then. uh 
uh, baby daddy. I don't remember his name. Furman. Um, Furman, yeah. He's quite literally holding the gun at her. I thought that's what you were talking about. That was great, though. That was a great. Okay. Thing. Yeah. The, and then, the, the same with the baby. Yeah, that was tough. Although then, I was, I was, uh, although I was uh, judging it pretty hard just from my medical background. I don't think the doctor sure. did it in that scene. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, you coming from a different background than me, and of course, you probably would judge it harder. But um, yeah, that met, and the whole thing that it was just like it was also one take. Which is like most of this film. <laughs> it's all very long shots, which is Alfonso's trademark at this point. Long shot of just – and just the actor's performance and just everything was crazy. And then, of course, the beach scene, which like even if you m- might have your problems with it, you can't just like – you can't deny that that – which – can you believe that that's the only take that they did of that? That's really? The one, that's because I watched uh, – he was on the Hollywood Reporter roundtable – and he was like, and Spike Lee asked, like, how'd you do that scene? And I guess they had like a crane. They built like this dock and they had this crane come out. And and uh, the thing is a tropical storm hit the night before and it was like moving. So that was like the one shot you could do. And he was like, well, if they drown, then I just have a different ending to my film, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> kind of fucked up. But I mean, you know, it is what it is. But um, yeah, when she comes back out and she's just like, I wish the baby was never born, like, Oh, my God. It was just so – it's just so fucked. It's just so fucked because, I mean, I don't want to go personal here, and I'm not going to. But, um, yeah, uh, it's just – let's just say I have some – I know somebody in my life that had the same thing happen, um, and I just know how – not the same exact thing, but they did lost a child mm-hmm. very young. And so that just affected me so much. And just like, yeah, like I wanted to have this child, but I also just never wanted it to be born like – like oh my god, it just fuck it just it messed me up so much. I can't. I'm trying to like I'm just trying to stay focused here. But as far as the filmmaking, you I think your biggest problem was that it was just too too long. Took its time. It's, uh, too long, too mundane. And I, I understand. Listen, uh, I know it's that's a lot of the intent because basically we're, we're with a migrant house worker. For I mean, she's the main character, and this is what she does. And I was with it for the first half hour, 40 minutes. I'm like, okay, I mean, I get it. My biggest problem was just narratively, it's too thin. Like, there wasn't much moving the story along. Those big moments that we talk about, like... you The the big reveal at the end, the, the gun scene, the stuff with Furman, um, the beach scene... And the, the the inevitable, I don't know if it, I, I guess stillborn um, scene is the correct term, but that stuff was very interesting to me, and that had my attention completely. But it was just such a kind of like a slog to get from though get from one to the other, because like just nothing was happening. But that's also, I feel like that was so much of the intent was that. You're just following this family and what they're doing with their lives and just like you're just following – I don't know. It's so hard to – to because I don't necessarily disagree. Well, I, I do disagree because I was never bored throughout this film while it's two-hour. I was captivated. I wouldn't say captivated, but I was interested in to seeing where this story was going. And then For the, when – go ahead. For the first half hour – this is a film 
again, it's the most beautiful film of the year. I mean, this uh, cinematography-wise, the way it was shot, the camera movement, everything, I loved it. Uh, in terms of that, it's beyond a five-star film. Um, but after a while, I mean, it's so it, – I guess it's kind of like an embarrassment of riches. It's never not good in that aspect. It's never not great in that aspect. So after the first half hour, 40, 40 minutes, I'm I'm getting used to everything looking incredible, and now I need something to happen because I'm getting bored. <laughs> I, I, it feels disrespectful to say that. I don't mean it disrespectfully because it is a beautiful film, and I understand that uh, from the stuff I've read about it, uh, Kiran went to painstaking detail to basically recreate his childhood. Their home was his home. Like all this stuff that happened is his real life, oh. and I'm I'm sure he's completely. It was completely accurate. Obviously, I I wasn't him, so I, I don't know that for sure, but I. I have enough trust in him as a filmmaker that what I'm seeing is his childhood. Uh, so for him, obviously, this is going to be of the most, utmost importance, and it's going to be uh, kind of this this big, interesting thing. It's what he lived, and for a lot of people, it is that. And I'm a, I'm obviously very much in the minority here in that I found it uh, a little too dull. Um, cutting off a half hour would have helped immensely. Uh, but it was just for me after the first half hour, after the initial awe in settling in phase of getting used to just how beautiful this movie is. And the black and white is just classic. Just everything about it's just so gorgeous to the point where I was getting annoyed that I had to read subtitles because I just wanted to focus on the picture. Um, <laughs> Obviously, that's not a slight against him. It's a it's a movie about a Hispanic family, so it's going to be in Spanish. It's my fault for not knowing Spanish. But uh, after all that wore off, it was just like, come on, I I I, I kind of need something. And every now and then, there would be a shot that come up that was just it it pulled me back in again for a few minutes, and then I would just find myself drifting again. Um. See, I don't have that issue. I don't know. I don't. I was never bored, or like I never was like, man. I hope this story because when the movie started, about twenty minutes in, I I think I realized what that this movie. Okay, this movie is going to take its time. This movie is not a movie that's trying to rush to where it's going. It's going to take its time, and it's going to tell you a story. Um, and of course, it's all so perfectly crafted and meticulous. That which is, you wouldn't expect that from this story. Um, you would almost expect a more grander story to happen to, for this to be so meticulously crafted in every aspect. Um, I just, I don't know. I never was bored, and then um, I think I just fell in love with these characters, with like the the whole family. I really adored that you almost you almost kind of like don't like them but at the same time you like them like the mom for example you're like man this guy woman's such a uh a, a, just a foul you know she's going through uh what would it be a, a a cheating husband she's going through a cheating husband so obviously she's going to be on edge and she's not going to be great but she does, goes to such while she can have her temper tantrum she goes to such great lengths to make sure that um what's her name I can't remember her name. Cleo is just 
gets everything that she possibly can. It just the kids also. Uh, I love the ki- the kids. They're really good child actors. Like the kids were great. The kids, I was surprised because you know, children can be terrible. Uh, most of the time, most of the time, the children are terrible. Most of the time, very rare cases will you get good children act, child actors. But here, uh, they're fantastic. They're I never maybe that's kind of the <clears throat> the origin of my problems with this. I never felt connected to this family. I like I, I like the kids. I thought the kids were great actors, and um. You know, I, I appreciated them in that aspect. I didn't feel a close emotional attachment to them. The mother, I appreciate that it's realistic in that, I mean, she's not one way or the other. You get kind of, you, you see a lot of sides of her. Because there are moments where I thought she was just a jerk. And then there were moments where, like, okay, she obviously cares a lot. Um, I didn't think she was terribly likable uh, overall. The father, I mean, you're, you're with the father very briefly, so I mean, it's hard to even gauge much about him other than through his actions that happen off camera. So obviously he's kind of a scumbag. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think you're meant to, to relate to or like him. So obviously, um, obviously the biggest connection is with um, Cleo, the character you spend most of your time with. And even that, I just – I didn't – I cared – but I didn't feel completely invested. I don't – I disagree. <laughs> There's another one where we disagree. I was just – I wouldn't say I was crazy invested in her, uh, but I mean I wanted her to, I guess, succeed. I don't know. It's uh, I'm trying to figure <laughs> – this is such a hard film to describe. She – I can I'll say this. She was fantastic in the film uh, during certain scenes. She The fact that she has not been – in any other film is pretty pretty incredible to me because she goes long there's some long takes here where she needs to be on the top of her game and i just thought she was incredible um i don't know i just i i felt connected to these characters all of not i wouldn't say all of them of course um but like the grandma i don't even know she was hardly in it and then she just like all of a sudden was like i don't know it was crazy uh, she. This film is just. I'm. I'm thinking. I'm just thinking back to how, how perfectly crafted this film is too, on a visual level. Like that. Yeah. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with new ways to defend myself here because I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the things that you are. I'm not saying. attacking your opinion. I. 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 Like I said, I'm in the minority here. So. Obviously, oh, there's something that I'm missing, or something that I'm just not going to get. There was a um. I'm, lo- I'm just trying to like describe why I fell in love with these, or not fell in love with these characters, but why I felt emotionally attached to these characters. Yeah. And you're not alone. Most people seem, from everything I've read, people have adored this. Of course. There's only one review that I've read that kind of was the way I thought, and I just found it here. And again, it's Sam Van Hogger and the same guy I referenced earlier. Um, and he kind of fell in the same way. I just want to read this here. He just one line of it. He said, I found it a stunning formal exercise, which is exactly how I felt. It was a, it felt like a formal exercise to me from a technical level and everything, even from hearing that he's basically recreating his childhood home and everything. If that to me, it feels like a really good exercise in filmmaking. Um, 
did I relate to it? No. Am I supposed to relate to it? I'm not. I'm not Hispanic. I'm not from the '70s. I'm not. So there's there's a certain disconnect there. But I don't know. I, maybe it's just not a movie for me. It's just not going to check those boxes with me. Um, and I'll read the second line here that he he wrote because it's also. He put, unfortunately for me, Kiron's presence behind each of these shots, like his actual physical press presence, kept the movie from ever taking off as a narrative. So for me, I felt that's that's the best wording that I could I could put out there that of how I felt. Like these are very personal experiences for for the director. And just throwing this out there, I love his previous work, Children of Men. Like you said, one of my favorite movies as well, Gravity. I, I think I'm even probably higher on gravity than you are, although it's been a long time since I've seen it. I need yeah. it's one of those things I need to revisit. Um, and I'm I was very basically this movie just to I didn't watch any trailers or anything, but the art and everything behind it's not something I'm really going to go for. It was 100% the director's name that drew me into this film, so I'm bummed that I don't like it more than I do because I want to. And I feel like Sam Van Hogan also said in this his review, you're logging your first impression here, kind of for posterity's sake. There's a there's a high chance that eventually you're going to come back to this review and think it's completely absurd, because there's something I'm missing here. Because I don't think everybody's wrong and I'm right here, <laughs> but it's just there's there's something that just did not connect for me and. Sure. The thought of rewatching it again is just not something that uh, that jazzes me up. I mean, it's it's going to be a while before I rewatch it. Just I can't because wait it, to rewatch. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole time I was trying to finish it, and I'm just thinking Reed's excited to watch this again. And to me, it feels like homework, just because it, it moves so slowly. Um, but yeah, it's that that that's my my biggest thing, and it makes me sound like this ADHD child where i need ritalin to calm down and i'm very much not like i'm a a pretty patient uh viewer but for this it was just a little bit too much of that to keep me invested yeah i don't know i uh i remember watching this though and i just like got sucked in to how beautiful and just how just what was going on and i just completely forgot about everything else for a second there, like what probably I was probably watching is like two a.m. in the morning, um, and just I just remember watching afterwards. I just couldn't stop thinking about it, and like I just had like I don't know. It was so I I was speechless after watching it. When the film ended, I was just like I just I don't think I said anything for a good while. I just sat there in my in my room, just like just thinking about what I had watched and how I felt about it. Because it's definitely one of those films for me, at least. When I go back and think about it, because when I first watched it, I, I was loving it, and I, I thought it was fantastic. But it's one that after I watch, I think about it more. And this is what the great films, at least for me, do. After I watch I after I watch the film, I think about it more and more and more. And the more I think about it, there's more things that I love about it. Um, I agree. I just, but that, And I was excited to have that with this because of how, how highly you spoke of the ending. But when it happened, I just it, – it, I don't want to say I didn't care, but it just it it did not hit me like that at all. And it hit me like that, like a ton of bricks. Um, I love I love a movie where I can't stop thinking about it, and 
uh, just going back, Minding the Gap is a perfect example of that. That movie ended, and I thought about it for days after, and I still think about it weeks after having originally seen it. Um, that's what that's, this movie is doing to me. That's what so. I was hoping. With that's what I was hoping. Even I've had movies like this where it felt like a chore to get through, and then the ending happened to the point where you start thinking about it a lot, and you're like, you know what? That really was. Now that I can see the totality of what the movie was, that was a freaking great film. And I thought that's what that w- this was going to be for me, but it just didn't pan out that way. Yeah. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I'm completely different on the other side. Yeah, it's just agree to disagree. Just, yeah, I mean, like, I don't – like, your whole opinions. like, I'm not feeling like you're attacking my opinion, of course, but I feel like everything you're saying, I'm like, wow, I did not see it that way. Like, I, I was completely different towards everything, like, that you said, so. Yeah. It's the beauty much. of movies. Yeah. Everyone has their own opinions. All right. So we're going to jump into our deep dive here. And if you listened to the last episode, you know that uh, this week or this episode is my choice. And I chose True Romance. And this is a film uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, a, uh, a young upstart many people probably haven't heard of. And um, I didn't hear of him until this film. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, you should check out some of his other stuff. It's It's, it's, it's okay. Um, and uh, it's uh, directed by Tony Scott, a uh, legendary uh, director who unfortunately left us a couple years back. And um, I'm just going to go through a couple uh, fun facts here. Uh, most interesting, and most interestingly enough, people think Quentin Tarantino's first uh, movie script was Reservoir Dogs, uh, another great film. It's not. Uh, this. It was either this or, or Natural Born Killers. I'm not sure which, but both of those scripts were actively being shopped around by Quentin Tarantino bef- prior to Reservoir Dogs. Natural Born Killers, of course, would go on to be made by Oliver Stone. Humorously enough, Quentin Tarantino absolutely loathed what he did with that movie. But Quentin Tarantino loved what, he, what Tony Scott did with this film. And... and Tony Scott did change some things from the script, um, and we'll get into that later. Uh, Quentin himself called this his most autobiographical script ever, True Romance. Um, And humorously enough, uh, Elvis is a big part of this movie. And uh, Quentin Tarantino actually watched True Romance with Lisa Marie Presley, Elvis Presley's daughter. Oh, nice. Yeah, this year was uh, the 25th anniversary of the movie, so it's uh, kind of a neat little thing for us to do here. It's a personal favorite of mine. I've loved this for a long 25 time. 25 years. 1993. Yep. 25 years. And uh, so yeah, I'm gonna jump into this here. So, True Romance is a story. It's a love story, but it's a love story done the Quentin Tarantino way. Someone in an, uh, I remember hearing he was doing an interview with a uh, some sort of media, and the interview asked her asked him, Quentin, you've made all these different types of movies. You know, you got obviously got your crime movies, you got your kung fu movies, you got your westerns and all that. When are you gonna make a love story? And he said, I already wrote a love story. It's called True Romance. So, uh, and this is very much a love story. This is exactly how I look at this film. Um, but I can see, I can understand the first time viewer watching it and thinking it's not so much a love story, but it is a love story. So we open up 
and we're introduced to our our hero right away, played by Christian Slater, who is an actor that I love. <laughs> I realize he doesn't always make the best movie choices, um, but he's. I, I think it's because of this movie. But I've always rooted for him in his career. I'm always excited when he has something uh, legit coming out. Uh, he's an actor that I I want to work forever just because of the joy I get from his performance in this in this film. Um, but our main character's name is Clarence Worley. He's talking to a woman. Um, to me, I always took it as her being a prostitute. I don't know that for sure. Uh, it's never explicitly said, but by the way, the, the kind, the, the way she looks, it kind of feels that way. Anyway, he's talking about Elvis, and this is a, a theme that comes up many times throughout the movie. In Jailhouse Rock, he was everything rockabilly's about. Nah, I mean, he is rockabilly. Mean, surly, nasty, rude. In that movie, he couldn't give a fuck about nothing. So rocking and rolling, living fast, dying young, leaving a good-looking corpse, you know? I watched that hillbilly, and I want to be him so bad. Males look good. <laughs> yeah, I ain't no fag, but Elvis, he was pretty good. Most women, you know? Most women. I always said, if I had to fuck a guy, you know, I mean, had to, if my life depended on it, I'd fuck Elvis. I'd fuck Elvis. <laughs> really? Well, when he was alive, not now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't blame you. So we, uh, we both fuck Elvis. It's nice to meet people with common interests, ain't it? Elvis in this movie, to me kind of plays like a um like a spiritual mentor to Clarence. Um anyway, he's talking about Elvis and and if he had to have sex with a guy, he would do Elvis. <laughs> and that's exactly. And that's what they're bonding over. Uh you can tell Clarence is is really kind of a lonely guy. He invites this woman to come with him to a Sunny Chiba triple feature. And she politely kind of turns him down. And that's when perhaps my favorite piece of movie music ever plays. And that's the song. It's an instrumental called You're So Cool. It's made, It's done by Hans Zimmer. And we get into the opening credits. You're seeing the Detroit skyline, uh, some different scenery around Detroit. Uh, this is 90s Detroit. is pretty depressed, high crime really bleak dreary imagery but the you're so cool song is so bubbly and hopeful and it i don't know this this song feels like falling in love i love it so much i love it to death so you almost you almost you or you kind of yelled at me when i said it felt out of place oh absolutely i yelled at you and you deserved it (laughs) okay there's one we'll get to the scene later actually because we're going scene by scene yeah you're so cool comes up at numerous points in this film, it's it's the main piece of music in this movie, and um, I didn't realize this until recently. I went back to watch a movie called Badlands, Terrence Malick's film from the seventies, and True Romance, True Romance was heavily inspired by Badlands to the point where "You're So Cool" by Hans Zimmer, this piece of music that I hold in such esteem, was a very blatant ripoff of the Badlands theme. 
you can call it an homage, I suppose, and I guess it is that, but it, it's it's almost identical. It's still in you see Badlands. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Oh, sweet. And um, that's not the only thing they took from Badlands. Patricia Arquette's opening and closing monologues, her voiceover, is very much in the same exact intonation and cadence as Sissy Spacex is in Badlands. And they both... Because of these things, they both give off a very similar vibe. Badlands, of course, it's a PG movie. It's about a, a serial killer. I mean, it's a, it, it's. I put in my review of it. It's the nicest, most friendly serial killer movie I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but in both of these movies, you're dealing with some really heavy stuff. But there's just this underlying positivity to them. It's a very, very weird combination. It's almost off-putting. I could see it as people thinking it's off-putting, just coming to this uh, for the first time. But I, I personally, I really dig. So um, we cut to after the, the credits and the, all the Detroit scenery. Clarence is in the movie theater, and we see he's watching the Sonny Chiba movies. <clears throat> Not a lot of people in this theater. Kind of a bleak, uh, bleak day. This pretty blonde walks into the theater accidentally spills popcorn on him this is patricia arquette's character we come to know her as alabama so she, she's apologizing to him for spilling the popcorn and then uh she come in late to the movie and so she kind of asks him to catch her up and he does so he's a clarence is a very friendly guy he's very lonely but you can tell he's very friendly he's a people person he wants to be with with people um so she joins them and this kind of becomes an impromptu date of sorts uh they both they watch all three sunny chiba movies together then they decide to go out uh for pie and there's this this one little thing and it's always stuck with me in this movie um patricia arquette gives off this little giggle that's just like you got me i'm in love with you now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just a, such a perfect characterization of Alabama. Would you like to go get some pie with me? <laughs> and she does this giggle a few times. And more menacingly, later in the film, she does this giggle. And it's just, I don't know, there's something about it. It's just, it's such a little nuanced thing she added to the performance. But it's just, oh, it, it gets me. It, it cuts through me immediately. Uh, so after they get their, their pie... Uh, they're talking, and uh, Clarence is asking Alabama questions. It's the same sort of uh, kind of probing questions that you would ask someone on a, a date trying to find out what their situation is, i.e., are you involved with someone? Do I have a chance? Stuff like that, um, you know, in a, round, in a roundabout way. Um, and then he takes her to the comic book store. He works at a comic book store. He's tight with the owner. The owner doesn't pay him much, but he lets him – kind of come in come and go as he pleases uh he has keys he manages his, manages this comic book store and often he'll just come here and read comics and uh and then he spends his time that way so again you're seeing he's he's a pretty lonely guy right after that we get perhaps my favorite staple of these films it's the 90s sex scene <laughs> <laughs> and that involves a lot of silhouettes uh, some jazzy type music. <laughs> oh yeah, the color. That was something I, the music I noticed. I was like, "Yep, that's the '90s right there." Exactly. So, uh, 
so I, I, I jotted this down, and um, Alabama, or I should say Patricia Arquette, Patricia Arquette's performance of Alabama, <clears throat> she does a really great job of making you love her in a very quick amount of time. So things progress in this film much much as kind of like a hallmark of Quentin Tarantino uh, scripts. Things don't not a lot of patience in some of these things it, like things start happening quick and this movie perhaps more than any other things just start moving at a, a pretty quick clip um so you have to you have to buy into alabama very quickly uh literally it's like a five minute span where it's it almost hinges on like you have to you have to kind of love her to buy into the rest of the movie and clarence too christian slater does a great job with clarence um, but after we get the awesome 96 scene, uh, Christian Slate or, uh, Clarence is asleep and we see Alabama's kind of outside of his apartment. She's on a billboard. So I don't know geographically how that works. He must be like on a high, high rise apartment near a, a, a billboard. Yeah, I know. I was like, where the hell are they? <laughs> What's going on here? But uh, she's sitting out there, and you can tell she's kind of solemn, kind of sad, which is uncharacteristic for her, even though we've only known her for such a short amount of time. But Clarence comes out and sits with her, and he's kind of uh, kind of joking around, which he's he's one to do. And Alabama's not really having it, and she basically tells him that she has a confession to make. And that confession is that she's a call girl, and she was paid for. The meeting in the theater – it wasn't chance. He, Clarence's boss at the comic book store paid for her because it was Clarence's birthday, and this was a birthday present. Okay, here it goes. You know the place you took me to last night? The place you work? Heroes for sale. You got a boss, right? Yeah. Okay, what's his name? Lance. That's him. He called the place where I work. He ordered a girl for you. He said he wanted you to get laid. You didn't get out much, and it was your birthday and all. He wanted me to act like I just showed up. Now, how did he know you were going to be at that theater? Uh, well, I, I go to the movies every year on my birthday. In fact, he called me up this week to find out what my birthday movie was going to be. You're not mad? Oh, man. I can't tell you. It was one of the best times I ever had. It was. You know, I knew something must be rotten in Denmark. There was no way you could like me that much. I mean, I can't tell you how relieved I was when you took off your dress. You, you didn't have a dick. Stop being so fucking calm about all this. Go look in your house. There's a note on your TV, and all it says is Dear Clarence, because I couldn't write anymore. So I just said, Alabama, come clean. And just tell him what's what. And if he tells you to go back to Drexel and fuck yourself, then go back to Drexel and fuck yourself. Drexel? What's, what's a Drexel? Please shut up. I'm trying to come clean, okay? I've been a call girl for exactly four days, and you're my third customer. I want you to know that I'm not damaged goods. I'm not what they call in Florida white trash. I'm a really good person. And when it comes to relationships, I'm 100%. I'm 100% monogamous. You stay with one guy? Exactly. If I'm with you, then I'm with you. And I don't want anybody else. Now I gotta tell you something else. What you said last night was one of the best times you ever had. Did you mean physically? Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the whole night. I mean, I, I never had as much fun with the girl as I had with you my whole life. <laughs> It's true. I, you like Elvis. You like, you like Janice. You like uh, kung fu movies. You like the Partridge Family. <laughs> Actually, I don't like the Partridge Family. That was part of the act. I feel really goofy saying this after only knowing you one night. <laughs> Me being a call going on. But I think I love you. And Clarence obviously could have reacted poorly to this, but that's not how Clarence is. Clarence, again, kind of makes a joke and he goes, well, you know, uh, I, th I thought it was kind of weird that someone like you would be interested in me and she's basically calling him out on his bs at this point and she's basically telling telling him to shut up but Listen, if, if patricia arquette came up to me same thing situation i'd be like well that makes so much sense what why why did this happen in the first place <laughs> yeah it makes sense now but she's basically just trying to tell him that she loves him she's already in love with him so again another big thing that you have to buy here is kind of almost a love at first sight type deal love at first date i guess um for me hopeless romantic i mean all you got to do is look at some of my favorite films of all time i absolutely <laughs> buy this <laughs> so like you you say that you got me hook line and sinker i'm with you the rest of the movie um the read might be a little bit tougher sell <laughs> just a little bit but, but But their performances are so good that I I completely get it. At the very least, you can buy that they're impulsive young kids who who think this way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will agree with that, even though I'm you know much younger than you are. Uh, seeing all these characters be so young, I'm used to them seeing them as like old old farts, if you will. Yeah. Uh, they're not they're, they're not old. But yeah, so I got used to them as seeing like the parental older figure. So yeah, because like, how old was Christian Slater when this movie was made? Like, his twenties probably. His twenties. So yeah. So. so I feel like the movie hinges on you believing this scene, and like I said, I I believe it right away. Um, so you, you're so cool begins to play again, and I'm in love, and I literally <laughs> I wrote that in my notes. I'm in love. <laughs> uh. So you, you get a quick cut. They immediately get hitched. Go to the cor the courtyard. Uh, there are the courthouse, I should say. Yeah, um, I was like, courtyard. Wait. Courtyard sounded weird in my head. <laughs> This is a different type of hitch than we're thinking. <laughs> they uh, go to the courthouse and they get married, and then they get matching tattoos. Now, interesting fun fact: these tattoos are real. They're not on Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette, but they hired two people to actually get these tattoos. Oh my goodness. And they filmed it and it was going to be a big part of the marketing, like the movie poster and everything. And then the studio changed their mind. <laughs> oh my God. Poor people. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's a little fun fact. So after that, we're hearing about this fellow named Drexel and, uh, and, uh, Alabama, tells us that it's her former pimp. She was a call girl. She's only a call girl for four days, um, brand new to it. But Drexel's her pimp, 
he's apparently not a very he's a he's a, a bad guy um and she's kind of worried about that aspect of her life she doesn't have any of her everything she has all of her possessions and everything are back with drexel because this falling in love all this unexpected stuff that happened it just it took her by surprise so she has nothing she's just she's with clarence and i should note that she made a point to reassure clarence that she's monogamous in relationships like if she's with you she's with you she don't want no one else uh, and she's very much – I mean that's – you see it throughout the movie. That's very much who she is. So we cut to Drexel who – if you're a younger viewer like Reed, knowing Gary Old, Oldham is like uh, – <laughs> I don't know, Winston Churchill from The Darkest Hour or Commissioner Gordon from the Dark yeah. Knight movies, this is hilarious. It's – it's. I laugh my ass off when I realize that that, that – because I didn't realize it was him. Until because I looked at the IMDb DB page, um, and like I just didn't put two and two together, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's freaking Gary Oldman!" It is indeed, <laughs> and uh, he's unrecognizable. He's playing a white guy with gold teeth, dreadlocks. Uh, he basically looks like a mumble rapper in 2018. <laughs> Dirty's favorite. <laughs> yes, uh, that's all I could think of. Um. Uh, I mentioned last episode that literally all of Hollywood is in this, in this movie. I completely forgot, but Samuel L. Jackson's in this, in a, in for like a solid one minute. Yeah, uh, yeah. Very briefly. I was like, Samuel L. Jackson? Oh. <laughs> yeah, goodbye, yeah. Sam Jackson. Um, they're in this drug deal. Drexel kills Sam Jackson and his partner, and they take the suitcase full of coke. So we're back to um, we're back to Clarence. He's uh he's there with uh, Alabama, now man and wife, but Clarence is having trouble accepting her former life. Not so much that she was a call girl, but the this Drexel fellow that he keeps hearing about, it's just it's not sitting well with him. And here comes this re- recurring motif of Elvis appearing and talking to Clarence. <laughs> so, fun fact: Tony Scott, the director, wanted to put include Elvis's music in this film. Not only did they not allow that, Elvis's estate barred any likeness of him appearing in the film. So that's why Elvis, played by Val Kilmer in this movie, is almost always out of focus. He's kind of appears over the shoulder of Clarence. You never see his face full on. And he's not credited as Elvis. He's never referenced as Elvis. He's referenced as the mentor. But it's Elvis. We all know it's Elvis. <clears throat> so Clarence, when he's in these moments of needing to make a big choice or make a big decision or needing guidance, Elvis appears to him and talks to him. Um, and Elvis basically tells him to go kill Drexel. And he says, you'll get away with it. He's a pimp. Cops ain't going to care. They'll probably thank you. <laughs> and it's the point where this is just not setting well enough with Clarence. It's it's gotta he's gotta deal with it now or it's always gonna bother him. So he goes to Alabama, has her give him the address. He tells her that he's just going to go get her things. So she concedes, he packs a pistol. So we cut to Drexel's uh 
loft here. There's a lot of people. He's having a party. A lot of shady characters. A lot of prostitutes. A lot of drugs going on. Some guns. Uh, they have a, a kind of a unique back and forth for a minute or two, where Drexel's trying to figure him out immediately, and Christian Slater has the perfect comeback for him trying to figure him out. Let's see. We're sitting down here, ready to negotiate. <laughs> You've already given up your shit. I'm still a mystery to you. But I know exactly where your white ass is coming from. See, if I ask if you want some dinner, and you grab the egg roll and start to try down, I said to myself, this motherfucker, he's carrying on like he ain't got a care in the world, and who knows? Maybe he don't. Maybe this fool's such a bad motherfucker. He don't got to worry about nothing. He just sit down, watch my motherfucking TV. See? <laughs> you ain't even sat down yet. And that TV over there, since you've been in the room, is a room where the breasts is hanging out. You ain't even bothered to look. You've just been clacking me. I know I'm pretty. But I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. <laughs> Ooh wee! This shot feels. <laughs> I'm not eating because I'm not hungry. I'm not sitting because I'm not staying. I ain't looking at the movie because I already seen it seven years ago. It's the Mac. Max Julian, Carol Speed, and Richard Pryor. I ain't scared of you. I just don't like you. And that envelope right there had some payoff money. Alabama's moving on to some greener pastures. We're not negotiating. I don't like to barter. It's in that envelope right there. It's for my peace of mind. My peace of mind is worth that much. Not one penny more. Drexel's second, uh, his kind of his muscle. It's a big guy. I forget his name. Uh, it's something kind of funny. Just it's like a just like regular dorky oh, name. Uh, I forget too. But he he holds him and Drexel attacks Clarence, and it, it, this is a pretty a pretty brutal beating. Drexel gets the upper hand quickly, obviously because it's a two on one, uh, two on one affair. Grabs his wallet, starts throwing his cards out on the floor, and finds his ID, his driver's license. So he, bam, he knows Clarence Worley. Uh, he has an address, and he looks to his his muscle guy and says, "I bet a hunt, I bet a million dollars, Alabama's there. Go get her, bring her back." At this point, <clears throat> Clarence works his way up and shoots Drexel right between the legs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then uh, the the poor the muscle guy gets killed too so panic ensues gunshots have been fired you got prostitutes running everywhere people running for their lives clarence tells one of the other prostitutes to grab alabama's things throw them in the suitcase and bring it to him and at this point he uh he kills he kills drexel shoots him in the face and grabs the suitcase and bails so he comes back to Alabama, who's waiting there. She's just been watching like this cheesy soap opera, and he he has a a big thing of fast food for them to eat, 
and he's so hungry, and you can tell he's like real amped up. And uh, he's telling her that he killed Drexel. And she's like a ball of emotion. She starts crying, and he starts getting upset with her. He's like saying, like, what? Do you, were you in love with him? What's the deal? Why? He's, he's a scumbag. He's a garbage. Why would you be mad? Why are you upset? Why are you crying for this guy? And she looks at him and she says, I think what you did what? was so romantic. I think what you did was so romantic. <laughs> so, again, you're seeing more shades of what this relationship is. And I am still in love. So she goes to uh, open up her suitcase because she has no clothes. And she realizes that, oh, crap, there's a lot of cocaine here. <laughs> so in the frenzy, the prostitute who was grabbing her stuff grabbed the giant suitcase of coke that Drexel had killed Sam Jackson and his partner for. So then we're, we cut to a railroad track. We have this crappy little trailer. And we find out it's Clarence's dad's house. Den uh, Clarence's dad's played by Dennis Hopper. And we see that they're estranged. They haven't really had any contact in the last three, three and a half years. Dennis Hopper's a retired cop. He's working security now for some company, but he's a retired cop. He has friends on the force. And Clarence just wants to have his dad reach out and see if there's any commotion about him being involved. So this happens off camera where Clarence is basically confessing to what he did. And his dad's just like, why are you telling me this? Like, I, I used to be a cop. Don't tell me that you murdered somebody. But Clarence's dad finally secedes and checks with the PD. And there's no no reason to believe this is anything other than a, a drug-related gang shooting. And that's all, all they care about. They said as long as – no grand revelation comes up. There's no reason to believe you have anything to do with anything, and it's just being being written off as a a drug deal gone bad or you know a, a drug related killing. So then we cut to uh, Michael Rappaport. Speaking of actors that I love, I don't know why I love this guy. Maybe it's because he he guest starred in Friends back in the day, or more appropriately, probably because of this movie. But Michael Rappaport, anytime I see him acting, I get very happy. I just love his voice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he plays a character who's uh, named Dick, Rick, Dick Ritchie, and he's in an audition. He's an actor, and uh, he's auditioning for a T.J. Hooker reboot, <laughs> which is kind of funny. <laughs> but that scene just happens there, and it cuts away. So it's like this really weird thing where it seems unrelated. The, the scene before um... – before where they're kind of arguing before this that you were talking about yeah the reasons uh, why yeah he uh that's when the uh that main theme comes back in at first and that's when i that was when i messaged you i'm like this feels out of place because well, they're having like this argumental like scene going on and then this like really happy music and i was like Ooh, that what makes you think that i could do that because you were a cop but what makes you think that i would do that because i'm your son Oh, you're my son. Oh, you got it. Huh? All worked out, don't you, huh? Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, goddamn, I have never asked you for a goddamn thing, huh? But Jesus fucking Christ, I'm after mom divorced you. Did I ever ask you for anything? No, I didn't. And when I wouldn't see you for a year and a half to two years, did I ever get in your shit about it? And that whole fucking time you were drunk, 
Did I ever get mad and point my finger at you? No, I never did. Everybody else did, but I didn't. Now look, I just need help, and you can fucking help me, all right? I'm basically a pretty resourceful guy. If I didn't really need it, I wouldn't ask. I mean, if you want to say no, I'm fine. Forget it. Don't worry about it. No problem. I'm gone. All right? Yeah, but what, what happens after the happy music? It was uh, Michael Rappaport, wasn't it? No, I'm talking about the, the theme. For me, the theme comes up whenever you're in this moment of love. And in that moment, it comes up. But it's it's Clarence telling his dad, when you did this and when you did this and when you weren't there, and I never asked you for anything. He goes, I, I let you be. I let you do your thing, and now I just need this one favor. And then you see yeah. father's love to the son. That's, that's the way I take it. Fair point. I mean I just remember at the time I was like these two are having like a, a really dramatic what seems you know verbal fight. And this music just popped up that's so happy. Mm-hmm. And I, it just felt, I don't know, at that time it felt out of place. But now that you describe it, it, it works. For me, it's like it getting inside of Tarantino's twisted head. Um, <laughs> you got all this, all this on the surface, like really bad and grimy and gritty stuff. But a lot of this stuff is happening out of acts of love. Yeah. It, it's very much a love story. Yeah. And and we'll get more into that later because when things really start getting heavier, you start it, – it, it's all because of acts of love. Um, anyway, so um, the idea is Clarence and Alabama are going to go find their friend Dick Ritchie in L.A. So that's where the Dick Ritchie connection comes from. He's he's tight with Clarence. Uh, we don't know why they're going to L.A. yet, but that, that's what he tells his father. He leaves him the address and everything so they can get a hold of one another. So – Dennis Hopper, uh, his character, he's saying goodbye to his son, and he just met his son's wife for the first time ever. And they were talking about like how wonderful she is, and he gives her this creepy kiss, like, <laughs> like kisses her on <laughs> right. the lips, like extended. And then like, dude, that's like that's your daughter-in-law. Stop it, <laughs> right? That was so creepy. <laughs> but it happens, so there you go. Why not? So uh, after a brief telephone conversation with Dick Ritchie, we're back with Dennis Hopper's character. This time he walks in and he's held at gunpoint, and there are gangsters in his in his house, his trailer. And these gangsters are headed up by Christopher Walken, the one and only. Yes. Now, if this movie is known for anything, it's known for this scene, and it's perhaps the best scene of the entire film. Yeah, yeah, this is a fantastic scene. Christopher, it's a, it's a long monologue, and it it's one of Tarantino's favorite monologues that he's ever written, fun fact. But it's a long monologue between Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper, just going back and forth, back and forth. So basically, basically it just is Christopher, Walken, Christopher Walken's character, Don Vincenzo, knows that Clarence stole from them. So his license was found at the scene of the crime with uh, Drexel's body. He's a goof. He's a goof. He's a screw-up. <laughs> so you get a lot of long dialogue. There's uh, two buzzwords in this. <laughs> One is eggplant and the other is cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch the scene, it's a humorous thing. Um, but both of those things were completely improvised. I just want to throw that out there. 
So Dennis Hopper is you know, doing his best as a former cop to protect his son and basically play stupid. He doesn't know anything. And he, pay, he pays for it. Uh, he gets beat up pretty bad. He gets cut at one point. They cut his hand. Uh, just various little bits of torture. And finally, there's this point where Dennis Hopper, earlier in the conversation, Christopher Walken offers him a cigar, and he turns him down. You get to this point in the conversation where Dennis Hopper says, I'll have that that cigar now. And at that point, for me, he's accept. there's only one way this is ending, and he knows it at this point. Yeah, so yeah. he's just like, just let me have the cigar. At this point, it's just, okay, now... <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go out insulting you to your face, and he tells this story about the Sicilians and how they came to be. I'm not gonna repeat it because it's super vulgar. Yeah. I was about to say if you repeat it, my goodness. Yeah, but it is it is Quentin Tarantino. Could I uh, <clears throat> have one of those Chesterfields now? Sure. You got a match? No, oh, wait, no, no, I got, don't bother, I got one. You're Sicilian, huh? Sicilian. <laughs> you know, I read a lot. Especially about things, about history. I find that shit fascinating. Uh, and all this, all this time, Walken does such a good job. He's laughing and he's jovial. Because Walken in this movie is Sicilian. He plays a Sicilian. If Don Vincenzo didn't give it away. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's doing this perfect mixture of like laughing, but you could tell his blood is boiling underneath. It's a little bit of performance that I, I, I absolutely love. Anyway, at the end of the story, like, Walken's doing his walking thing. He's laughing. And even the point where, like, he comes up and grabs uh, Hopper's face, like, the way you would grab the face of a, a long-lost relative. And he, like, kisses him on the side. And he's laughing. He's like, this guy's the best. And then he shoots him <laughs> multiple times. Shoots him in the head and then just keeps, like, shooting him. Uh, so poor dad is gone. So we find out... Clarence and Alabama are meeting up with Dick Ritchie, and they check into a hotel, and they show him the coke. So the, I guess the, the idea here is that, listen, our buddy's an actor in Hollywood. Hollywood's all coked out. We all know that. So <laughs> we, can, we can move this coke quick, and then a, Clarence and Alabama are going to take the money, and they're going to go live their life in, in wedded bliss. Uh, but the only problem is Clarence wants to sell it all in one shot. He doesn't want to like he doesn't want to prolong a thing. Time's of the essence. He wants to get rid of it and get lost. And Dick Ritchie is not he's like the bottom rung of actors. He doesn't get a lot of work. He doesn't know a lot of people. He knows one guy who knows a guy that might be able to buy all this coke. Um so the uh the guy, the the guy who might be interested in the coke is a a, a big time director named Lee Donowitz in this film. He may want the coke, so Dick Ritchie's going to get a hold of his contact, and that contact works for Lee Donowitz. So it's like this 
I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy is trying to coordinate all these parties because Clarence wants to move it and get lost. So Clarence makes up the story about how he got the coke. Um, he doesn't let anyone know the real reason. And he's telling this to uh, Dick Ritchie's friend, who his name is Elliot. 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 So if you ever watched uh, Perfect Strangers, it's Balky from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> That's how I always know Balky. Um, oh, yeah. So they set up a meeting with Lee, and that that's going to happen. So Lee wants to meet, make sure everything's kosher before doing anything. So we cut back to uh, Clarence Worley's – or not Clarence, um, Dick Ritchie's apartment. And Dick Ritchie has a – a roommate played by Brad Pitt. His name is Floyd and he's perhaps the most entertaining character in the entire film because he is just baked out of his mind 24 seven and some of his dialogue, which from what I understand was mostly improvised. And the fact that he's a stoner was completely Pitt's idea. There, there's two things this movie's really known for. It's that Sicilian scene and then Brad Pitt being a stoner. And uh, he has some really funny lines in this. But James Gandolfini appears, and he's talking to Brad Pitt. And Brad Pitt's so stoned that he – I mean he barely knows where he's at. And it's like trying to get information out of him. He tells him what he does know because Brad Pitt – I mean he's stoned, but he has no reason to believe that anyone's a danger or anything. He's completely left in the dark about anything that's going on. He's just hes just all about his honey bear bong. Oh, yeah. But uh, – so James Gandolfini gets the information he needs and he leaves. And Brad Pitt has this one little line that's really funny. He says it like under his breath. You condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, like his eyes are like glazed over and like he, he's just laying in the couch. So uh, Alabama enters their motel room alone because. Clarence is going to go get them some food. And this is the beginning of the most brutal and uncomfortable scene in the entire movie, but my favorite scene. And this is something that Reed and I talked about uh, when you first watched this. It's uh, it's a tough scene. I, I don't know. This is a tough scene to do nowadays, I think. Yeah, not a lot of people would have the guts to do this. This type of uh, stuff. Although I've seen some films recently that there's some women beating, but it's not. Uh, it doesn't go to this profound of uh, just the level of violence. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it's just. I mean, it's it doesn't pull any punches. Yeah. So anyway, James Gandolfini, who um, we both love, and it, mm. I know you you said he's one of your favorite parts of this movie. Yeah. So good. Such a good character actor. Um, he originally was not going to play this character. So this character was uh, was given and accepted by Tom Sizemore. And the character's, oh. name, character's name's Virgil. But Tom Sizemore ended up getting moved and playing one of the police officers at the end. And we'll get to that. But Tom Sizemore told the director, hey, you should see this guy, James Gandolfini. He would be perfect for this role. This is before Gandolfini, before Sopranos, before any of that stuff, before he was really a name. And that's how he got the job. So 
Some fun fact for you. Interesting. So, Gandolfini's... Alabama walks in the room and Gandolfini's sitting there and he's completely calm. And this is like a hallmark of Gandolfini performances. Like he's... He has a just very unsettling violence through being so calm in his performances. It's really unsettling. But he's he's holding on to a shotgun. And Alabama's trying to play it off like she's she's kind of laughing and giggling and saying oh you got the wrong room and everything and uh virgil sees the suitcase under the bed and he's like oh there it is so or wait no i'm sorry that didn't happen yet okay i'll have to edit that out <laughs> so <laughs> it's a two we're two hours into the show i mean yeah i'm starting to run together all right um so in this scene we see this is why I like this scene. This is why, why it's my favorite scene and why I think it's important and it's okay to have scenes like this even nowadays. A lot of people go right away for the – oh, you're, you're displaying a man beating a woman brutally and maybe it is a little over the line. But what you got to look at the greater meaning of what the scene is. And in this scene, for me, you see what an absolute warrior Alabama is. She's not just just some call girl. Like she is a fighter big time. Um so Gandolfini hits her, knocks her out, knocks her silly on the floor, one punch. He also makes this this quirky little face afterwards, which really cracks me up, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, what happens here is just a lot of brutal punishment. So he's asking her about the coke. Where is it at? Where is it at? He's interrogating her. She's not telling him anything. And they're also cutting the scene in between what's going on with her and what's going on with Clarence. And Clarence is just having a grand old beautiful day getting some <laughs> some hamburgers for he and his wife, talking to some guy about Elvis. So that makes it all the more jarring for me because you're seeing like this brutal punishment that his wife is enduring. And he's just – he's all about having these burgers. Obviously, he doesn't know what's going on, but it's a, a, a unique bit of editing that I thought really worked real well. Yeah. Gandolfini's completely menacing here. Alabama won't break into the point of uh, I mentioned her giggle earlier in the in the review. She starts laughing in his face. Her face is completely bloody, almost mangled at this point, and she's just laughing at him. So obviously <laughs> Gandolfini uh beats her up some more. He doesn't take too kindly to the laughing. Although he is he is somewhat amused by how strong she is not strong like in terms of physically strong just like she's she's a fighter she's not going down easy and i think he respects that a little bit um but he does this monologue about killing and murder and about how the first one's the worst and after however you get you've, you've gotten to as many as he's done you just do it for the expression on their face like it it, just, it doesn't mean anything anymore and all the while while he's talking here Alabama grabs a Swiss Army knife that's on the floor, and she undoes undoes the the corkscrew part of the the Swiss Army knife. The part that like I don't I've never used the corkscrew on a Swiss Army knife. I guess you would, could open like a wine bottle with it or something. Um, but he's about to kill her, and he he he's about to execute her. He holds his he has his gun out pointed to her, and she holds up the corkscrew and like to him. She's not attacking him or anything. She's like almost holding it up in defiance. And this is that that little bit of like begrudging respect. Like he he, he kind of smiles and he puts the gun down. And he goes, "Okay, I'll give you one free shot." He's he's taunting her. He's like, "Come on, come on, do it." 
and she holds it up and she stabs it right down into his foot and he yells out in anger yells out in pain and then she gets up and she grabs this this bust of Elvis again you got the Elvis connection um, and smacks him over the head with it he goes down for a second but it was not super solid so he's not down for very long he's a big boy no he he grabs her and this this is the one thing that I this was this is tough to watch. The whole beating's tough, but this one was just he grabs her and throws her through a glass shower. Like she goes through these glass panes and into the shower. And the water's on and there's blood everywhere. And he comes in and he's talking to her and she starts laughing in his face again. So again, you get that she's she's a, just a full on warrior. So He's like he like grabs her by the throat and he's like trying to grab her, and she grabs she manages to grab like a bottle of soap, those little hotel toiletries, and she puts it in her hand and then rubs it in his eyes, and that gives her enough time. Like he kind of goes back a step and he's trying to rub out his eyes, and she grabs the porcelain. Uh, I don't even know what the word is for it. It's like the toilet cover off the back of the toilet, yeah, where the internals of the toilet are. The porcelain, like the the long narrow thing that that's hard is like <laughs> ridiculously hard and yeah. she smacks him over the head with it then she grabs right next right on the sink it's a can of hairspray and a lighter and she uses that that old trick hit the lighter spray this hairspray into it it creates like almost like a napalm type effect and sprays it in his eyes so he he catches on fire and he he runs into the next room she grabs the corkscrew that she stabbed him in the foot with and stabs comes in behind him, stabs him in the back, frees the shotgun from him and just starts unloading shotgun blasts into him while like doing this incredibly primal scream. That's not enough. She takes the shotgun, which now has no more shells left, and she's beating him with the stock end of the shotgun. At this point, Clarence finally arrives with his burgers, sees what's going on, grabs Alabama, and rushes her out of the room. So I'm going to give myself a break from talking here. What did you think of this scene? My goodness. It was fantastic. Um I mentioned in my review just how much I miss James Gandolfini. Uh, he is so intimidated in this and in The Sopranos, but here he is just so intimidating as a bad guy, and just his monologues going on. He's just he he was fantastic, and um, what a what a great scene, what a great fight scene too. Uh, you just felt you're just like oh my goodness, I was just. How's this? How's Patricia Arquette gonna get out? But then, of course, it's it's a, it's a movie, so she gets out. Uh, she fights her way out. But I mean, it was such a great see. And I love, like you said, the intercutting between uh, him and uh, between what's going on there and Clarence. I also thought that was a really great touch to it. So. Yeah, my favorite scene in the film, I think, um, 
It's brutal. Yes. It's tough to watch at times, but I think it's necessary. And it shows you a lot about who Alabama is. Yeah, it's this or the uh, other one previously mentioned with the the dad and the the one the scene that's Sicilian. Move, yeah, the scene this movie is fa- uh, famous for. Yeah, it's one of those two. So now we're back um, with Dick Ritchie's friend um, Elliot, and he gets busted for driving. He's speeding, but he also has coke on him. I love this part too. <laughs> <laughs> so he he has a prostitute with him, and he's trying to get the prostitute to hide the coke because the cops aren't going to check her. She refuses, as any sane person would. <laughs> but he's like trying to th- push it on her, and the bag explodes on his face as the cops walking to. Well, she slaps it. Oh yeah, she slaps it, and yeah. it, it just like explodes into his face. So he has like this white powder all over his face as the cops walking to his store. So, uh, the cops, you, you, you get the kind of like, um, almost stereotypical cop scene. Um, so they, they got him dead to rights and he could go away for a long time, but they have a bigger fish to fry and that being his boss, boss Lee Donowitz. So they talk him, well, talk him in, maybe not even the right word. They scare him into wearing a wire. He lets them know this meeting's going on. They need him to wear a wire so that they can get Lee Donowitz because that's who they really want. So... Clarence, they meet up. They wire they wire up Elliot, and then they, they, uh, Elliot meets up with Dick Ritchie and Clarence in Alabama. Alabama wearing uh, big sunglasses, hood, and everything, hiding her face basically because she just took the beating of a lifetime. Um, and they get in the elevator, and as they're going up to the high rise where Lee Donowitz uh, stays or wherever this meeting's taking place. Uh, uh, it's basically shown to be like – I don't know if it's like a second home or where he lives. It's it's one of his residences. Clarence hits the stop on the elevator and holds a gun to Elliot's head. And like they get this really intense scene of basically Clarence yelling at Elliot, trying to – it's like a, a test of his loyalty to make sure that everything's kosher, I guess. But the <laughs> way the way, uh, the way it's cut, it's cut in a really – great way because you got Clarence who's ratcheting up the tension by like constantly he has a gun in Elliot's face and he's yelling at him yelling and cussing cussing you have Elliot who's like literally ready to pee his pants out of fear um, because he is wearing a wire but nobody knows and then you also got the cops on the other end who are listening and yelling at Elliot who can't hear them like don't you, don't you back down? He's bluffing. He's bluffing, and it's you're cutting between these three things, and it ratchets up the tension until finally, Clarence pulls the gun down, apologizes because I just had to make sure. So, Elliot locked out of that one. So we're in the we're in the meeting here, and uh, we meet Lee Donowitz, who is basically what I would imagine is your stereotypical Hollywood bigwig. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he has armed security which was unexpected and these guys are armed to the gills like they have automatic weapons <laughs> and uh but Lee Donowitz completely cool like laid back likes Clarence um wants to talk to him discuss everything like they're talking about his film in the fictional world of this he made a war film called Coming Home in a Body Bag it's apparently this transplendent 
a work of art that's second only to Deer Hunter in the war movie genre. Um, Clarence himself brought a gun with him, and Lee Donowitz lets him keep it, basically, as a show of, like, I trust you. I don't think there's any any need for any of this. We're just going to... It's going to be a friendly drug deal, you know, um, because Clarence is selling this at an extreme discount because he wants to move it all at once. And that's kind of like that's the big allure of this for Lee, but it's also the big question mark because yeah, it's like, why is this guy not? This feels like a set money. Yeah, yeah. Like, why would you do this? So they go outside away from everybody. And that's that's a big question. And Clarence, master artist of BSing people, apparently, spins this tale and completely convinces them and sets them at ease. But you also get the thing where Elliot's in there wearing the wire. He needs to get this this happening all through his wire, and they're a ways away. So he's like trying to inch closer, and Lee's like waving him off because he's just like the peasant worker, like he. Just the kind of the nuisance. Yeah. Uh, so Lee agrees to buy the coke, and that that signals the cops. It's it's time to roll. Clarence excuses himself to go use the restroom, and anytime Clarence uses the restroom, we get an appearance from Elvis. So Elvis is just basically trying to talk him down, saying like, "Hey, you got this. Everything's going good. You're gonna be you know moving on soon with all this money. You got your wife and everything." The cops storm the room, and there's a standoff between the cops and the armed security with all of our players in the middle. You got Lee, you got Elliot, you got Alabama, and you got Dick Ritchie all in the middle of the standoff. But in stroll the gangsters as well. So now you got like this three-way Mexican standoff happening between three groups of people all armed to the gills with all of our main characters in the middle petrified. Clarence is still in the bathroom. So everything's ratcheting up here. The tension's getting like really palpable, really intense. And Elliot's like sinking into his chair here. He's in the, in a, just like an, a barca lounge or something, sinking, trying to get away. And he like he's call, crying out in fear, and he's calling to the cop. And he's calling him by his name. And the cop's played by uh, Sean Penn. Not Sean Penn. Um, That's what to say, Chris, Sean Penn. Chris Penn. Chris Penn, <laughs> yeah. his brother. Uh, rest in peace. So Yes. Chris Penn was so good, too. Um, yeah, he was. But he's calling out his name. And the cop calls back to Elliot using his name, and Elliot's just saying, like, listen, I did my job. Like, just let me go. I'm not needed here anymore. And the cop's telling him, stay put, stay put. And Lee Donowitz puts two and two together and realizes what happened. So you get this scene where, like, Lee's saying, how do you know his name? Why the fuck did he know your name? You little piece of shit! You can forget about acting for the next 20 years. Your fucking career is over. Take your fucking SAG card and burn it! You little cocksucker! I treated you like a son! You fucking stabbed me in the heart! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Lee, in his, like, in his fury, grabs this bottle of liquid, it's lemonade, some sort of drink, a pitcher of it, and throws it on, on Elliot. 
which is the spark to ignite all the guns. Like then it's just everyone starts shooting at everyone. At this point, Clarence exits the bathroom and takes a shot in the face, like goes down immediately. So Alabama runs runs for him, of course, like screaming. Big gun battle. The only ones who make it out are Clarence Alabama and Dick Ritchie. You see Dick Ritchie escape. He has the he gets the coke the the suitcase of coke, tosses it up in the air to divert everyone's attention, and just bolts out of the room and into the hallway and, and gone. So he makes it out. Clarence is still on the ground. He's shot in the face. We don't know his his status yet, and Alabama's over there with him. Uh, and you just start seeing these characters being picked off one by one. Finally, the last last man standing is uh, Chris Penn, and Alabama shoots him. So she's down. And then much like in the prior uh, – a couple of scenes prior after the beating that Alabama took when Clarence came in and kind of like swaddled her up and was helping her out, she does the same for him. So he's still alive, but he's he's having trouble seeing. He just got shot in the face. So all that happens – and they make it. They make it out, and it comes. It comes back. You're so cool. Starts playing again, and we get the ending monologue from Patricia Arquette. Amid the chaos of that day, when all I could hear was the thunder of gunshots, and all I could smell was the violence in the air, I look back and am amazed that my thoughts were so clear and true. That three words went through my mind endlessly. Repeating themselves like a broken record. You're so cool. You're so cool. You're so cool. And sometimes Clarence asked me what I would have done if he had died, if that bullet had been two inches more to the left. To this, I always smile, as if I'm not going to satisfy him with a response. But I always do. I tell him of how I would want to die. That the anguish and the want of death would fade like the stars at dawn, and that things would be much as they are now, perhaps. Except maybe I wouldn't have named our son Elvis. That was actually Patricia Arquette's real-life son in that final shot. So that is true romance. I won't have you go ahead and give. Uh, your overall thoughts, and then I'm going to come back with a couple more fun facts and round this out. So my overall thoughts is that it's a good movie. It's actually a really good movie. There's a lot to like here. I think definitely the the, the best part about it is the script, which wouldn't surprise people considering it's from Quentin Tarantino. But uh, it's definitely the best part, and these characters are just so so likable. You just like them like, right away. Um, and they're so well, they're all so well written that, uh, you just can't help but like it. Um, the acting all around, not a bad actor here, even like some of the side characters, Elliot, all those guys are all really good. Uh, they all play their characters to a T. Uh, I absolutely, uh, love the two scenes that we mentioned, of course. Uh, the two probably, definitely easily the two best scenes of the movie. Um. And, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I think, uh, like I mentioned, uh, I do, I, I do like the music. I know Beach, I, when I kind of 
mentioned, I felt like it was out of place. Didn't don't hate the music at all. I actually think it's a nice score there, but um, it did feel out of place that one at first. But then, of course, uh, a little bit later, uh, or just you know, just now, you would kind of explain. It makes me like it a bit more. Um, and uh, everyone does a really good job here, as I mentioned. Uh, this is a it's a really good movie. It's a really good movie. Um, definitely need to see. Uh, Natural born, born Killers. I know that's. Would you think that's better than this one, or do you think no, this one? No, no, this it's is better. better. It's they're very different. Fair enough. But I've never read Tarantino's original original script for Natural Born Killers, and Oliver Stone changed it a lot. Um, oh. Natural Born okay. Killers is worth watching, but it is not. Uh, it's a lot more brutal, a lot more controversial. It's sure. not hope, not really hopeful at all. Well, I like that. So yeah, you might like it better. So who knows? Yeah, it's worth watching for sure, though. Yeah, I uh, but I enjoyed this. This is the only, as I mentioned last episode, this is the only other movie from Tony Scott that I've seen that's not uh, taking. I think his last two films, the Taking Up in uh, One, Two, Three, and uh, Unstoppable, were the only other two Tony Scott films that I saw. Uh, and this is definitely the best out of the three that I saw. Um, so, yeah, it's a really good movie. I don't have much else to say. We went over it. Uh, I just, I, there are some really great scenes here. The, it's very 90s. Very, very much 90s. Uh, even the, during the action scenes, there's a lot of, like, slow-mo, uh, <laughs> shootouts here. Uh, the special, well, especially the one towards the end was definitely a 90s, uh, trope there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have much else to say. It's a really good movie. Uh, I recommend it myself to anyone, um, and uh, yeah, like I said, or like we said earlier, I miss James Gandolfini, man. He left us too soon. How old was he? Like fifty? Oh, he was young. Chris Penn yeah. too. Chris Penn was really yeah, young. Chris, Chris Penn too. Yeah. So sad, but yeah, really good movie. I uh, and it, like you said, has like everyone from Hollywood in it. It's funny with Sam Jackson. I want to mention that real quick because he was in it, you know, for a second. He's in like all these like famous movies for like a second and you don't realize like goodfellas he's there for like two seconds he's in goodfellas yeah he's uh he gets murdered by a joe pesci huh i just watched goodfellas not that long ago yeah he um he gets murdered by joe pesci he's there for like he's literally there for like maybe a scene he has one scene where he gets murdered they show up to his house he's late or like he just woke up and then uh, I think he before then though I think he was uh, I think he was like in like the bar he was like in the background but yeah he was in Goodfellas he was there for a scene mm. so uh, just to round this review out um, a couple more fun facts this one was really funny uh, Michael Rappaport who plays Dick Ritchie um, there's a scene when they're all meeting each other when Michael Rappaport is introducing um, Elliot to Clarence in Alabama before any of the big initial drug deal stuff happens. And they decide to uh, have the meeting at a theme park on a roller coaster. And Michael Rappaport is scared to death of roller coasters. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he, did the, he did the scene, and unfortunately they had to do reshoots for it. <laughs> so before the reshoots, he took a bunch of quaaludes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and you can the, – obviously they use takes from both days – and you can very clearly see if you watch him 
what scenes are filmed on which day. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Because on the Quelu day, he's completely blissed out. He has a smile plastered on his face, and he looks high as anything. Uh, this one, uh, Oldman, one of Gary Oldman's uh, two favorite roles ever. Just throw that out there. Uh, he said this and his uh, portrayal of Lee Harvey Oswald and JFK are his two favorite roles. He also... Uh, express interest in doing a uh, Drexel movie, solo movie. Although that was back in like 2011, so <laughs> I can't yeah, imagine. Yeah, interest, it'd be uh, interesting to see him do that now. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one was really interesting to me. So Lee Donowitz, who plays the um, the movie mogul in this film, is the grandson of Donnie Donowitz from Inglorious Bastards, and that is confirmed by Quentin Tarantino. Oh yeah, because uh, like all Quentin Tarantino's, yeah, Quentin Tarantino's movies are like in the same universe. universe. Yeah. Yep. The the QC the QCU. Yeah. And then, uh, lastly, uh, Tarantino's original ending had Clarence dying, and uh, Tony Scott talked him into uh, allowing him to change that because, basically, because you spend so much time and. Clarence in Alabama, Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette do such a good job of their with their performances. That, like I don't, it's just one of those movies that needed that hopeful, happy ending. I feel like so. They, you know, I would have loved it if they didn't die. <laughs> well, the original ending had Clarence dying, and according to Tarantino, Alabama would then turn to a life of crime, and she would join up with Mister White from Reservoir Dogs in a flashback. In Reservoir Dogs, Mr. White is asked about Alabama. It's just never expressly said what that is, but that was left in there. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So that is true romance. Uh, we're going to get into our top five here in a second, but I want to throw it over to you, Reed, and you can let us know what we'll be watching next episode. So this is a tough one for me to pick. I've... It was down to two movies. It was down uh, to two. Uh, I'm not going to say what the other one was because I'm probably going to pick it in the future. But I'm going to go with my current third favorite movie of all time. And that is Rear Window by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, made in 19, came out in 1954. The only thing that is wrong with this movie is some of the technical aspects because it was made in 1954, in my opinion. Uh, you have not seen this movie, correct? I have not. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I talked about it in the very first episode as far as top five personal films for me. Uh, this film is very personal. It was, uh, I'll probably go much deeper into it next episode. But yeah, if we're going to talk about Rear Window, I am so excited. I have not seen this movie in about six six months, I want to say, which is a long time. Uh, normally, a lot of, which for all my, I want to say probably like my top ten favorite movies, I at least rewatch them every couple of months or so maybe every six months so like now this is the time to rewatch them i can't wait i know this movie scene by scene so i can't wait to talk about it i've only seen one hitchcock and that would be psycho yeah sure uh this is my personal favorite hitchcock uh my at least my personal uh that can be i love psycho too though love all he's one of the best one of the best uh so yeah that's all I gotta say. Excited to see. I think you'll like it. 
you should. If you don't, I don't know what to. I don't know what to say. <laughs> if I don't, it's the end of the podcast, people. It's the end of the podcast. We're done. If you at least like it, you don't have to love it as much as I do. But if you at least like it, then we're fine. I'm sure I will. So that'll be coming up next episode. Um, we'll go through this really quickly because again, we're getting <laughs> super long on time. I'm not going to have much to say about these. these yeah, top five. I said typically we uh, do a top five, and the theme. We'll have something to do with the Deep Dive movie, but this is our last episode before Christmas, so I just threw out their top five favorite Christmas movies. Um, interpret that however you'd like. I said that, and then when I'm making my list, I realize I haven't seen a lot of Christmas movies. Yeah, same here. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to go real quickly. I'll start with my number five. Um, jingle all the way. Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a German doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> What? See that? <laughs> what did I say? These, these guys are looking for a turbo man? A gentleman <laughs> dog, yes. <laughs> They're looking for turbo man. <laughs> hey, everybody, these two are looking for a turbo man. Shut up, man. Now, what's so funny? Where have you guys been? Turbo Man's only the hottest selling Christmas toy ever. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We got plenty of Turbo Man's faithful Saber King Tiger Booster. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I got this. Oh, <laughs> I have not seen this, but I've seen clips, I should say. It's, uh, it's a classic. Uh, anyway, my parents got me this when I was younger, and I watched it all the time. It has. Uh, Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. So, I mean, what more other reason do you need to watch it? It also has the big show in it, in a brief cameo. <laughs> you, uh, do you know that uh, Braun Strowman is in uh, the new uh, Will Ferrell and uh, John C. Riley movie that's coming out? I the, did know that, actually, the new Sherlock. Yeah, I, I didn't even know that movie was a thing. And then I saw a gif on Twitter of, uh, I guess they showed a little clip on Raw tonight of Braun Strowman. I go, oh, my God. That's a movie. <laughs> I I didn't know this was a movie. I hope it's good, but the trailers did not look good to me. So I seen we'll see. Anything from it. Um, but yeah, it's my number five. It's a uh, just a cheesy family. It's a Schwarzenegger comedy, Christmas comedy at the height of his powers, and uh, it's nothing spectacular, but I enjoy it. A lot of that's you know tied up with my childhood. So that's my number five. So my number five. Uh, Beach just watched this today, and it's one of those that uh, you don't kind of uh, consider it a movie because it's only like 25 minutes. But to me, they're movies. I don't care. I don't care what they are. It's on Letterboxd. It counts. It's on Letterboxd. It counts. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas, the whole Christmas season. Oh, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason, his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve, 
hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every Who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a holly week. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled for the sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. I love this. I mean, uh, I have three of these type of things on here because I grew up with them. They're my childhood. Uh, and I, they're really like the only Christmas stuff that I watch <laughs> that I've ever seen, really. So, uh, yeah, that's why it's my number five. I mean, it's fantastic. I, I, I have a... I have a char- I have a special place in my heart for old animation, so um, yeah, this is it. Yeah, I got I picked that up on Blu-ray the other day, and I put it through my 4K player because 4K will also upconvert your your regular Blu-rays. It's not going to be full 4K definition, but it will be better than Blu-ray quality. And I I did that and I showed it to my nephew because he's never seen it before. And that's why I watch it oh, tonight. Nice. And um, it looks amazing. It's it, it a lot like um. Lion King, Lion King, I did buy in 4K, and they released it in 4K a few weeks ago. And you know how, like, um, how when you like, just imagine you're drawing with a pencil. If you get really mm-hmm. close to the line, you could see the imperfections. It's not a solid line. Mm-hmm. 4K reveals that in these animations, and it just—I don't know—it looks so amazing to me. Like, it's it adds a whole other level to these these films that I grew up with, like Lion King, when you could see the lines and the imperfections in the lines yeah. and all that. Um, and That was one I was thinking about picking up. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's worth it, especially if you're a big fan of the film. Um, oh, yeah. but, uh, We're not going to talk about that piece of shit that's coming out next year. Really? I don't care for it. You know, It's I, not I, even out yet. I know, but we're not going to talk about it. I, <laughs> I love the Jungle Book one that they did. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was good. I just don't see the point, is what I'm trying to say. Well, we'll talk, I don't see the, we'll talk about it when it comes out. Anyways, I'm just calling it a piece of shit now because... It's John I'm Favreau, man. I do like John Favreau, but... Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, Why would I want to see John Oliver as, as a... What, what is he? I know he's in the movie. John Oliver is some... I think is a... What is he? Hold on. I gotta make sure. Anyways, continue. Beyonce's in it, too, I think. Yeah, like what, what, what? But like the, the original's so perfect. Why, why do I want to see something that it is? It just, take, it just takes away everything that the original was. I don't like. I, I, I guess I don't consider them as linked. Like it, the Jungle Book one. I thought the Jungle I, Book live action was better than the animated one. Sure, I, I never, ha- I don't have a connect. I guess I don't have a connection to the Jungle Book at all. So that's something. But, like, The Lion King is such a perfect movie. Like, the animation is the charm of it. Now you're going to make it a live act. Like, I'm not going to get connected. That's why animation's so great. It's because you get connected to these these things that aren't human. And, like, like how am I going to get connected to a, re- a real-life lion? Well, don't, <laughs> don't rate it off yet. You don't know. Sure. Fair enough. They're doing an Aladdin one, too. And yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I, I love Aladdin. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed for that one. I don't know. It just seems like this is what Disney's doing now. So yeah, that's the thing. Anyway, so. um, 
my number. I four. just went off on a tangent. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. This the show's already way too long, and I have to do that. My number four is a film. It's it's pretty recent. It's called The Night Before. Uh, it's a uh, Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, oh, yeah. Anthony Mackie. The truth will set you free. Hey, yo. This is a message for um, future Isaac from uh, current Isaac. And I have to tell you uh, to listen to me because right now I have clarity. You should not be having this fucking baby. This baby's a mistake. The baby will ruin your life. You'll ruin the baby's life. And then the baby will fucking murder people. I don't know what you do at this point. But get rid of this fucking baby. Put it in a bag and leave it somewhere. Put it in a basket and push it down a fucking river. Fuck you, baby. Fucking baby, fucking little arms and your fucking chubby little baby fucking legs. Fuck you, baby. Fuck you. Cunt. I really enjoyed the heck out of this film. I watch it like every year. Um, is it is it going to set your world on fire? No. But it's Seth Rogen and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, two guys that I really enjoy watching. And it's you get what you, what you – absolutely what you expect. It's a really funny movie. It's a, a Christmas-themed really funny movie with some heart. It has that appetite. Apatel formula type, like really kind of vulgar comedy with uh, a big heart to it, and uh, it has an awesome, uh, a couple awesome scenes where the the three men uh, sing Christmas and Hollis karaoke. It that's awesome. Miley Cyrus, this whole thing with Miley Cyrus, it's really funny. Um, yeah, it's it's it, definitely worth watching. Um, I'm kind of glad I picked this as our top five because I'd forgotten to uh, to watch it this year, and we're getting kind of close. So that'll probably be a, a, a watch for me in the next few days. Um, but yeah, really funny comedy. I enjoy it. My uh, number four is Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Quiet, quiet, everybody, quiet, quiet. I've got some bad news, folks. Christmas is going to be canceled. There's nothing I can do. This weather. Yeah. Rudolph, Rudolph, please. Could you tone it down a bit? I mean, that nose of yours. Uh, that nose. That beautiful, wonderful nose. Huh? Rudolph, Christmas is not off, and you're going to lead my team. I am? Yes, sir. You and that wonderful nose of yours. My nose, sir? Oh, from what I see now, that'll cut through the murkiest storm they can dish up. What I'm trying to say is, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an honor, sir. Which, I want to bring this up because I saw on Twitter that, uh... Like p- people were complaining complain about this movie and saying how like, like uh, what was it? Like how this movie's promoting bullying or something. Oh. Like and I wanted to lose my fucking I am mind. Sick of these people. I know. Okay, so like they brought up like, oh, the kids are like, are like bullying Rudolph. It's like like this. I saw this whole video. It's like one of those like bullshit like pc videos that you see on twitter like going through everything it's like it's like did you are are you do you not get the point of rudolph the red-nosed reindeer like that's the point the kids are bullying him that's the point it's called overcoming bullying and figuring out who you are that's the fucking point of this whole of 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 rudolph that's the point of the movie this is your generation this is your generation 
It's not my job. I hate them all. I hate them. I hate millennials so much. Listen, <sighs> That's for our political podcast. Stay tuned, folks. I, I'm not getting a political <laughs> podcast because I don't think everyone's like that. But it, it was fucking bullshit. And thankfully, I feel like a lot of people don't agree with that statement. But I hope um, not. I hope not. A lot of the people that I saw reply to that be like, are you freaking stupid? But yeah, I love Rudolph. Uh, I, you know, it's uh, the uh, abominable snowman as a kid scared the ever-loving shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Yosemite Sam was one of my favorites. Uh, an island of misfit toys, all the good stuff. So, yeah, that's all I got to say. All right, my number four is A Muppet Christmas Carol. Bah, humbug. He was the greediest man alive. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the night he met someone extraordinary. Hello. The Muppet Christmas Carol. I'll drink to Mr. Scrooge, even though he is odious, stingy, and badly dressed. Humbug. Oh, there goes Mr. Humbug. There goes Mr. Grin. Do you think it's safe for us to be up here? Yeah! It's a game of prize for being me. The winner would be him. Yes, Mr. Cratchit. If you please, Mr. Scrooge. The bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire. Where is such a frozen? How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... It's Charles Dickens' classic tale, as only the Muppets can tell it. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again. Filled with holiday warmth. Hey, 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 like the lamp, not the rat, like the lamp, not the rat. And Christmas spirit. Jacob Molly. Scary stuff. Should we be worried about the kids in the audience? No, it's all right. This is culture. This is the movie to see, to share, to cherish with someone you love. Thank you for making me a part of this. Walt Disney Pictures presents, from Jim Henson Productions, The Muppet Christmas Carol. God bless us, everyone. Whatever. Again, uh, something I need to rewatch. It's been a, a number of years. Uh, something that's very much tied to my childhood it's my favorite rendition of a christmas carol uh great music in it and you have the muppets and michael Caine playing ebenezer scrooge and it's just i don't know it's it's just really great really fun and uh something i need to revisit so that's my number three my number three is uh home alone right on shoes off. Why the hell are you dressed like a chicken? I'm up here, you morons! Come and get me! <laughs> you guys give up? Oh, yeah, thirsty for more. Home Alone is awesome. It's great. Don't care what anyone says. The uh, original or Back to New York? Oh, the original. Or Lost in oh, New York, I think it's called. I, I like the original the most. Okay. I think the original is great. Uh, the Lost in New York has Donald Trump in it, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, yeah, uh, Home Alone's great. That's all I gotta say. Joe Pesci's great. Uh, it's a movie that I grew up with and loved. Um, yeah, that's all I gotta say. So, uh, my number two is a film that likes to get, people like to hate on a lot nowadays, and I, I don't, I'm not about that at all. Um, I don't know if it's, uh, maybe the film, or the, the letterbox community. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of cynical people there. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. But uh, Love Actually. I love Love Actually. I don't even care who who knows it. I love Love Actually. It's I f- knew this was going to be on your list. It's a five-star <laughs> film for me. I don't even care. I don't want to hear your garbage. Taste explosion. No thanks. Yeah, a bit dodgy, isn't it? Looks like a dead baby's finger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. tastes like it. I'm Colin, by the way. I'm Nancy. Wicked. What do you do, Nancy? I'm a cook. Ever do weddings? Yes, I do. I should have asked you to do this one. They did. God, I wish you hadn't turned it down. I didn't. <laughs> right. I've just worked out why I can never find true love. What's that? English girl. They're stuck up, you see. Then I am primarily attractive to girls who are, you know, cooler. Game for a laugh. Like American girls. So I should just go to America. I'll get a girlfriend there instantly. What do you think? I think it's crap, Colin. Uh, that's where you're wrong. American girls would seriously dig me with my cute British accent. You don't have a cute British accent. Yes, I do. I'm going to America. Colin, you're a lonely, ugly arsehole. And you must accept it. Never. I am Colin, god of sex. I'm just on the wrong continent, that's all. It's a five-star film. This movie makes me so happy. This movie, uh, I haven't watched in recent years for other reasons. But uh, someday it will again. It used to be, and someday again it will be. A yearly tradition. Night after Thanksgiving night, you sit down, you watch Love Actually because it's a kickoff the Christmas season, and Love Actually makes you sore. So Love Actually is my number two. Yeah, my family loves that movie. And screw uh, the haters. It's a yeah. I don't think it's bad at all. It's a fun, nice flick. Good stuff. Uh, what was it? What were we at? Number two? Yeah. Uh, my number two. It's uh, it's a wonderful life. Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids! Help me, Clarence, please! Please! I want to live again! I want to live again! I want to live again! Please, God, let me live again! Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... 
Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Birch! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu's pedals! Zuzu... There they are! Birch! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Never actually seen that. That's another one. Uh, starring James Stewart, who's also in... Uh, why can't... Rear Window. He's also in Rear Window. One of... He's uh, pretty great in this movie. He's great, and uh, this is a great flick. It is uh, pretty good. I recommend it. Uh, you, I think you'd love it, Beige. I think you love it. But you're, yeah, you're typecasting me here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I typecast myself. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, my number one. This hits back to um, episode two of our podcast. It's Die Hard. Get together, have a few laughs. talked about Die Hard briefly. Die Hard for me. Yes, it's a Christmas movie. I don't want to hear crap about it. It's a Christmas movie. And it's the ultimate Christmas movie. It's a Do people think it's not? Oh yeah. It's it's an age it's an age old argument of whether it's a Christmas movie or not. Same thing with the night before Christmas in uh saying if it's a Halloween movie or not. Like yeah it's a Halloween movie but the title says it's Christmas. I don't know. I think even the director said it came out it's a Halloween movie. So go I'll I was gonna put that on my list too, but yeah. It's one of those arguments that's so dumb. Yeah. Anyway, it's nice every Christmas to take a trip back to Nakatomi Plaza and watch Bruce Willis save the day. Uh, Die Hard. Great Christmas film. Great action film. One of the greatest of all time, if not the greatest. Um, and, and if you want to hear more about that, we, we touch on it briefly in our early The Weapon review in episode two. Uh, so my number one is uh, the Peanuts Christmas movie. Right on. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I love this movie, man. I love the Peanuts in general. Love Snoop. I love all of the Peanuts specials. Even if they are played every single year, uh, I still watch them all every time. I watch Halloween this year. I watched the Thanksgiving one, and I'm about to watch uh, the Christmas one because the Christmas one is awesome and probably my favorite. Maybe did you maybe because the 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 music? Did you see the um, the Peanuts movie they put out a few years ago? I did. Is it good? I, 
I I think it's really good. Yeah, I really loved it. Granted, I'm biased just because I love everything Peanuts, but I love the way that they did the animation. Uh, it's mainly 2D anime. It's 2D but 3D um, mm. animation. It's uh, it's about as 3D as 2D animation can get, but it still it still hold it still plays homage and still doesn't disrespect the original anime 2D animation from the original Peanuts. So yeah, they, I really love it. I recommended a, it. There's a 4K release of that, and it's pretty cheap. I've been thinking about getting it late, lately, but I didn't know if yeah. the movie was any good or not. I think I gave it like three and a half stars. So. Nice. So I'll probably I give it like six and a half. <laughs> Something like that. Well, depending on the movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to message you angrily like, this is just like Roma. I'm so bored. <laughs> <laughs> no, you will not be bored through the Peanuts movie. Uh, there's no way. That movie goes by at a lightning fast speed. So. Alrighty. So that's our list. Um, we'll wrap it up here because we're – Man, this this episode is going to hit over three hours, so I sincerely apologize, people. Uh, but we'll be back in probably like two weeks or so. It seems to be our normal routine, and uh, we'll be reviewing Rear Window, <laughs> and uh, Reed will be taking us through that movie. So, uh, as always, you can follow us on Letterboxd. I am BJ Smith Photo. Reed is me as Reed. Or just check the uh, the links in the description. You can click us. Find all our reviews there. Believe it or not, we do even more reviews on there than we do on this show. Um, reviewing old stuff, new stuff. There's there's even new releases that we don't get to touch on in this in this podcast very much. So uh, check us out there, and uh, we'll catch you guys later. Bye. Did you all-